Welcome, friends and relations, teapots and mantel clocks, to the 2020 Bonanza Christmas special of Serious Disney. Usually on Serious Disney, we record in the same room, but of course 2020 forced us to compromise and do it remotely. But not so this episode, because this one's been in the can for ages, and we were just waiting until I got enough time to edit it properly together, because it's a big one! We always knew it would be a big one, and sure enough, here it is. The big one. Beauty and the Beast. The remake that defined the remakes, about which we always knew our response would be big. It's based on the film that cemented and changed and defined the Disney renaissance, rewrote what people thought a Disney animated classic was, and influenced or even arguably defined the theatrical animation industry from then on until now, and they have futzed with it. So, we return then to the old mould of serious Disney for this festive special, with our lovely stereo setup, our supply of biscuits, and our blissful obliviousness to the oncoming pandemic, to really create the best environment in which to enjoy a beautiful classic fairy tale lavishly updated for a new generation. Or to watch a load of absolute plops that's one of the worst films either of us has ever seen. Merry Christmas! Do we have a way of opening these? I don't think so. Serious Disney! Yay! Serious Disney! Oh! Oh, we should do a parody of the opening. You know, like, there was a beast in that. No, there wasn't yet. You know? <laughs> there wasn't a beast. Once upon once upon a time, there wasn't a beast yet. And uh, there's no such thing as beast yet. And, um, and then an enchantress, a beautiful enchantress, came along, but minging. And <laughs> but before that, let's just do a bit of Moulin Rouge. <laughs> Like for, 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 for five minutes. Well, we've got you and in. Oh, God. For very good reasons, which yeah. are as follows. Reasons redacted. <laughs> Hello. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Serious business, everyone. It is. It's Beauty and the Beast, and it's going to be a tricky and trying time for me. Um, something I've noticed as we've been doing these... You know, we went in because of our love of animation and Disney and stuff, and yeah. you know, this is a, this is an interesting. The series of remakes is an interesting look back at that time and those yeah. films from a new perspective, and we were interested in how they would do that. Yes, and I have been sort of becoming aware that like the the the, the Disney Renaissance era shaped so much of what I am. Oh right? yeah, definitely. The all of the things that I'm into that I do like people probably don't really know I'm a cartoonist because of the secrecy surrounding that that <laughs> I that I because I don't post a lot of it at this early stage. Yes. But I am a cartoonist. I've always been a cartoonist and I do music yeah. and I do I'm, I write stories and things and all of this is yeah. at least influenced by this era of films and I've realised that those are all jobs that I can, and sometimes am, be hired to do. <laughs> Good sentence. Yep. Um, that's why you're a writer. That's why I'm a writer. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there's a voice at the back of my head that's saying, these films aren't always to my taste. And if I make a podcast series <laughs> essentially dumping on them, yeah. is that putting me on a blacklist for various career opportunities? Um, I don't think so. I don't... We. That's the thing. Contrary to what you may be led to believe yeah. over the next two to eight hours, <laughs> um, we we don't and look you and you'll know this by if you've listened to any of our previous podcasts. We don't come oh god no to these films to dunk on them. No, we are not the angry Disney no. review guys. No, we and I are, think we give them a lot of time yeah. and patience and and benefit of the doubt. Yeah, um, this one's trickier to yeah. do that with. Yes, and so I, so I, I, I've been trying to come up with strategies. Like, how can I still, and especially as my wife now enters the animation industry, yes. and I, and I don't want to jeopardize that. <laughs> so, um, 
the strategies I've got are things like uh, empathy. I thought I'd try empathy. Yeah. And what I decided to do was look as much as I could at like candid roundtable like chats among the, the, the director and the cast. Oh, you did of that on this film. I did that yeah. for this film. I haven't done it before. This is the one because this is the one where I really well, needed, needed the help. extra push. <laughs> In, in figuring out what they meant yeah. when they made this. Because yeah. this is a film that I found I was always, at all times, having to extrapolate what they were trying to do or say or get across. Yeah. From moment to moment. Rather than it just working. Well, rather than the film telling you that yeah. successfully. So I know a little bit about what they meant and how that that's contrasts or use- compares with the final film. <laughs> that's going to be useful yeah. information mm. here. Because, I mean, we're recording this about a month and a bit after the last time we watched the film. Oh, are we? Gosh, you're right. I think yeah. so, yeah. yeah. And Because we'd intended to like watch that's the right. film, then record like a few days later. We got delayed and we couldn't. Yeah. And we both independently, I think, had an intention of like, well, it's been a month and a half. Let's mm. refresh our memories. Yeah. Let's watch it again yeah. just before we record. Again, again. Because for me, it would have been my third time. For you, third fourth? As well. No, third. third. And independently, neither <laughs> of us could do it. Couldn't quite bring ourselves to do no. it. No. I, I hovered. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I hovered over doing it. Yeah. I, and I, I did watch the Blu-ray extras. Right. As a means of, because I knew there'd be so many clips, but yeah. like also to get into the sense. Because I find that... With with the Blu-ray extras, they present the best version of what they think they've made. Yes, yes. I I took another route to finding the best version of what they could have made, and I should watch the original again. <laughs> I mean, it's a way to remind yourself of the general shape of what it was supposed to be. Yes. Um, because we're talking about, is it 2017's 17. Beauty and the Beast, the live-action remake by director... Bill Condon. Thank you. And uh, very, very clearly pronounced there. Yep. Well done. Um... <laughs> And um, when we did the frivolous Disney episode, yes, um, we were talking about there how um, you know we gave each other um, quote unquote Christmas presents, and, oh, yeah. and I gave you the Ursula book. Yeah, uh, Jahan gave me two uh, Blu-rays, me and Abby, and one was that horror film where they're all having to pretend to be quiet, a quiet place. Yes, and one was that <laughs> horror film where they're all having to pretend to be in Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> <laughs> but uh... so now I've watched Beauty and the Beast. Uh, my wife Abby has watched Beauty and the Beast with me as well, um, mm. and uh, and she had a very fun day <laughs> doing that. <laughs> oh, it did did it take her out for the whole day? <laughs> she was left non-functional essentially for the rest of for, yeah. for a twenty-four hour period. Yeah. Is that what caused her to point blank refuse to watch The Lion King? Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah, it was. Yeah, no. <laughs> to be fair, like, it, it's a good instinct. Like, yeah. if you watch this version, it is a good instinct to have to just say, maybe I just don't want to watch films. It is. I mean, the thing. <laughs> She'd already seen the Aladdin, so so she had yeah. the, the, be- the, be- the best. Yeah. And the worst. Yeah. Because that's the thing. Some One of these had to be the worst, didn't it? One of them had yeah. to be the best. And I do think that Aladdin was the best. And I do think that this was the worst. Like I think there's wriggle room on both of those. Mm-hmm. Like, like I think I think probably objectively, the Jungle Book is a better film than Aladdin. Oh yeah, okay. Actually. Um, and on yeah, the other on the other end of the scale, I don't know. Maybe Tim Burton's Alice is worse. Oh wait a minute, yeah. Maybe and I've not seen Dumbo. 
Yeah, maybe Tim Burton's... Maybe one of Tim Burton's various films. Probably, yeah, <laughs> oh, actually, to be fair, yeah, yeah. Um, or maybe... <laughs> I don't know, is Maleficent... I don't know, is Maleficent... I think Maleficent's better than this, because it yeah. had... The first half was fine, uh, and yeah. it had an actual, like, good reason to exist. And it was quite... Yeah, the film was much better in communicating why it existed yeah. than this one. At least for half of itself. Um, yeah. For its runtime. I mean, like, if there's one core problem I can zero in on yeah. with this film, just to summarise... It's just kind of quite crap. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I can't think of a better way to put it. And <clears throat> and if you don't want to further incriminate yourself to the animation industry... Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, well, <laughs> then maybe that's it. Maybe this is the Perhaps podcast. Perhaps the reason why it stands out is because it had so much to work with. It has yeah. so many great tools, and it misuses them. Yeah. All, all of them. All of them. Yeah. Oh, yeah, all of them. Right down to... The fact that literal Alan Menken was there. Yeah, right? Um, Rather than metaphorical Alan so, Oh, and let's let's talk about that. Actually, there's two things I want to get out of the way. Number one, we've yeah. got all the doors and windows open because it's a very hot day. You're going to hear traffic. Hopefully, yeah. the really cool dudes on their little quad bike thing. Oh, yeah, by. those guys. Forward to those guys. Bees. Bees, yes. Bees, yeah. Um, wasps. Wasps. Look forward to them. If you hear screaming during yeah. the podcast, it's either because we a wasp came in... Or, or because we're, we're talk- remembering the film. Yeah, or we're talking <laughs> about Gaston. <laughs> um, uh, right, but... And then the other thing is... Yeah. So, um, I, I'm just not going to be avo- able to avoid this, so let me put it on the table right now. I really like the two times I've seen the stage musical. Oh, you've seen it physically? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. once in London with the full nice. set and everything and the cast on the album, yeah. and once on tour... Yeah, with I would venture to say a better cast, uh, nice. but uh, a less good, but just as Im- imaginative set. So I've seen two separate versions of the. Well, no, it's the same production. There's there's been a third, like official new production that went on tour. I haven't seen that. Yeah, but um, I've seen the original production. What they meant by the the beauty that well, except they did it on Broadway, but so I haven't seen that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, and that. Now you've I've, I lent you the CD. Yeah. I imagine that was something of a reduced experience because it's a lot of Tim Rice all in one place, isn't it? It is, but it's not his most egregious work. I'll, no, I'll I, give it I thought. That. I thought. Yeah, me is one of his one of his better. Oh yeah, ones. yeah. Um, that being Gaston's uh, proposal song. Yes, um, that's really good. Really good. Really, really good. Yeah. Actually, this equation, girl plus man, doesn't help just you. On occasion, women can have their uses too. Mainly to extend the family tree. Pumpkin, extend with me. Um, not hindered by the fact that they have Burke Moses, the real Gaston, who's real life Gaston in real life, um, oh. playing him. And uh, what do you mean, the real life Gaston? Well, I mean, went did, to a castle to yeah, kill. No, these. did you see that video I sent you this morning? Oh, that guy. That guy. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That, I sadly didn't get to see him live. Did I? I? Actually, it's possible. Well, anyway, I can't remember. Well, that sounds like it would have been great. It would have been, but I've seen yeah. him on so many videos, and he's on the CD. That yeah. God, he's so he's the perfect Gaston, and yeah. unfortunately, therefore, I've seen the perfect live-action Gaston. Yeah. Yeah. And that does not play in the favor of this guy. No. Who I don't hate this guy. I think I. Uh, I don't hate personally no. anyone involved. <laughs> but I take it from your tone. I think you're going to be more critical about him specifically than I am because you've brought him up as a punchline a couple of times <laughs> already. <laughs> That's. We'll get to it. But yeah, there is a. There, 
Yes. Anyway, <laughs> so so the reason I'm bringing this up is that what I have seen is a sort of a per- perfect conceptual example of what they were what they wanted to create here, which is Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. But we're not a slave to the visuals of it. Yeah. We're going to make it feel real. It's yeah. going to be immersive and all encompassing, and it's going to be frillier and mm. more more designed, and it's going to be bigger and louder and more real and th- and so on and so yeah. on and so on and it's that clear- is what the stage show was and uh, it did it perfectly and it's clear that it's re- i don't remember if i don't know if you remember what we talked about when we talked about cinderella but in terms of that that lavishness mm. that sense of like let's make the kind of like the collector's edition yeah. version of this yeah. production um, and they and again for the stage they expanded the story yep. and they did it in intelligent ways that completely worked yes. again in this film they've expanded the story also, there's things like costumes, more yes. songs. All of these things are similar yeah. in the movie adaptation. So, yeah. there are... And the desire to Broadway it up. Yeah. Like, I mean, the original's very, very Broadway. Mm. I mean, like, it's maybe the Broadwayest yes. of the Disney Renaissance movies, I think. And, but obviously, it's still not quite enough to form an actual Broadway show. And yeah. that's what the Broadway show did. And obviously. Uh, but you could tell that that was part of the intention here by hiring Bill Condon as the director because he's he is above and beyond really anyone they've hired so far on any of these live action remakes. Certainly up until the point, in, up until 2017, he's a musicals guy. Oh. He's a movie musicals guy. Oh. He, he's the guy who, I think he directed Dreamgirls. Right. Um, he Haven't was, seen it, but I'm aware it's a musical. He was co-writer and, again, very heavily involved in Chicago. You know, the, um, mo- the movie yeah. of Chicago. That was good. Which was good. Like I say, this is a movie musicals guy. This was the yeah. one where it's like, oh, wow, you actually went out and you hired a movie musical. And this is, one of the, this is one of the places where I'm very glad I did my sort of uh, empathetic attempt at finding out about the people involved in this. Because my assumption had been... Yeah. Because I knew a little bit about... Well... well I had pieced together a little bit about the history of this film, which is that it goes back as far as when the first Blu-ray... Uh, sorry, when the first DVD of Beauty and the Beast came out. Right. Which was that if you let it play through, um, I, I think it was the end credits of all the extra features or something. Okay. Uh, you had Michael Eisner sitting there talking about how... Teasing the fact that they were about to do a, a live-action film of the stage musical version of Beauty and the Beast. Right. I want to do it again. And and the other thing that I I'm obsessed to do alone and uh, haven't really pushed it here at the company yet is I think we should do a live action live action movie of Beauty and the Beast that started with this great animated film moved to Broadway was expanded for Broadway three new songs uh, theatrically rendered and now go back and take the music the story the score the expanded version go to location in Europe and shoot a kind of, I don't know, gothic slash, you know, uh, Coppola-type musical event. And so from that moment on, I've been like, oh, I can't wait for this. And I saw that, you know, and of course, that's a very early stage in development. There's no reason to imagine that what they were thinking of then would end up, especially because he was no longer anywhere in the picture. No, yeah. But I remember the announcement this film was going to happen for real. And then later than that, I remember the announcement that they weren't going to be using any songs that weren't in the original film. And that oh, yeah. being this crushing moment where it's like, 
well, what are you doing it for then? Yeah. I thought I was going to get the movie of the stage version of Beauty Beast. You've not filmed it. It's not on Broadway anymore. Yeah. It's, it's not anywhere anymore. The, even the second touring production, which was a kind of like, well, this isn't on anymore, so let's do this. That had gone. Yeah. So I'm like, well, we, so we literally just can't watch this show anymore. Why not film it? Why didn't you film it? Yeah. Why don't you film it? And they weren't going to. And it just seemed like expanding the film to include the new songs seemed like the like of course you do that yeah. why wouldn't you that a mu- you're making a movie musical use the musical yeah. and i got that they might have cut out maison de lune or something like <laughs> yes. that but you know but so anyway so my assumption was and this was incorrect it turns out that the director of this film was the person responsible for that boneheaded idea right actually it turns out that he fought to have songs in it at all what they were going to go songless in the remake and he was like uh no we're using all the songs from the original film bare mins and that yeah. he had to fight for that and, okay and he then fought for there to be more and what's more apparently he can sing you all the songs from the stage musicals this isn't a guy who's ignorant of it at yeah. all this is someone who made decisions to do these things yeah um and did them in an informed way which comes and, as a genuine surprise but it does doesn't it like from watching the film because i because I was carrying, I, I didn't wasn't carrying that specific knowledge into it, but I was obviously carrying the knowledge of who Bill Condon was and yeah. what his credentials in this genre were, and that he wasn't just like uh, that bloke who directed Maleficent, who was yeah. a production design guy on yeah. his first directorial gig, or a Tim Burton, just dude, Tim Burtony all over the place, <laughs> you know, like regardless of what anyone else wanted him to do, like. <laughs> I knew that this was a guy who would take seriously the idea, who takes seriously the idea of the movie musical Mm -hmm. as a genre and as a cultural institution, and that he obviously sees himself as one of the stewards of it. Yeah. So what happened? What happened? Yeah. Yeah. What Um, did? I just. uh, While we're while we're being nice uh, about what the idea behind this was, um, if we can call it that, what we're doing. I've also seen stuff with the cast who all individually, genuinely, not not in like, you know, Disney Channel or Blu-ray at like advertising based interviews, but actual like honest chats at conventions on, on panels and so on where yeah. perhaps they would be a bit they would let slip a bit differently. Yeah. Um they all seemed genuinely convinced that what they'd made was the sort of platonic ideal of what this could be, a yeah. kind of a, a the, the bigger, the expanded version of yeah. this thing that that, that feels right. And they seem to have been under the impression that that was what they had made while yeah. they were filming it. And even there's a almost I want to say heartbreaking extra feature on the Blu-ray, yeah, which is footage from the script read, the roundtable yeah, read, yeah, the, yeah, the, the which, yeah, the, the script reading, yeah, which was done not just in the usual sense of sitting around a long table and everybody reads out their parts while someone else reads the stage directions. No, they had dancers, they had a, a band. Wow. They it was done as like essentially a rehearsal for a stage production, yeah, and. God, it looks great. They they show you almost all of the Gaston number mm-hmm. performed in that rehearsal yeah. uh, space. And it looks like a great staged version of the song yeah. that would have been completely at home in any production of the stage version. Yeah. So to know that it went from that to something that feels like it was... Well, we'll get into it. But something that feels the way this film feels yeah. is now more disappointing even than when I only watched the film. Yeah, and... I I certainly got that feeling of that feeling that you could tell that ev everyone involved 
this wasn't a case that you, I, I'm sure by this point you've you or the listeners have seen like those supercuts and stuff of like the cast of Game of Thrones <laughs> giving interviews about like season eight of yes. Game of Thrones, and it's very clear they're like mincing their words a little bit and like <laughs> yeah. they're they're biting their tongues and they're like dancing around to some degree what their true feelings about what they know <laughs> they've been responsible for creating. But I have seen those, yeah. But there is no sense here no. that that's, everyone is clearly convinced. Mm. You know, guys, we had a big responsibility yes. here to to pay loving tribute and update and like re-enshrine right. Beauty and the Beast, this great classic mm. of Disney animation, yeah. back into culture in this new way. Yeah. And we just nailed it. It was so hard, but we really got it right. And yeah. the thing that tipped me off to that is the credits of oh, this the film. the end credits. The end credits. Oh are... my goodness me. Yeah. It's difficult to look them in the eye, isn't it? Yeah, it genuinely is. It genuinely is. If you've not seen the film, or you don't, or you've blocked the film from your memory, <laughs> or you were very keen to leave the film before the end credits came up, yeah. they're just these like burnished sort of like title cards. All these like ornate, like flowery designs mm-hmm. around the names and around yeah. the the production credits. The the product like the production credits are in French and English. That's right, like, La Belle Lebet. Yep. When each member of the cast is billed separately, like it has this sort of slow motion portrait of themselves, yeah, like, almost like opening of Watchmen style slow motion stuff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's clearly it's clear that. Functionally, that's their, them taking a bow. Yeah. Because yeah. It's, it's the moment where it's like, man, yeah. you you guys, I, we just wanted to see you all one mm. more time so we can like just send you off for the the wonderful job you've done on Beauty and the that's Beast. It. And just to contrast that with the, the big knees up they had at the end of Aladdin for yeah. the same purpose. Yeah. But that actually was quite nice and, you know, yeah. you had quite a nice time there. Whereas with this, it's so... Self-aggrandizing. Yeah, and it's like you say; it genuinely is hard to look them in the eye. You, you feel embarrassed for them. You do because, and you, the, there's a, a complicated set of emotions because I do feel genuinely sorry for some of them because yeah. they meant it, yeah, and they thought it was great. And yeah. then, so it's not as if again, I don't hold any the the, the cast of this I haven't lost anything in my eyes. You know, it's they they really tried. Yeah, but all of the I don't know what it is. I don't know. I don't want to blame a person or a set of people, but all the decisions here, yeah, ended up. They they all, you you get where most of them, yeah, kind of come from on paper and how in the in the room they could have gone like, oh, this will be good, yeah. But it comes. Is it an editing thing? I don't know. It I comes don't know. together as something that I'm I'm wondering whether to say the word insulting or not, <laughs> because I felt like yeah, um. That's that's a bit that's a lot, and it's the sort of thing that people say too easily. Yeah. Um, but I, it does feel like they're condescending to the material a lot of the time mm. by accident. Yeah. It, it always feels like every change in the film, which there are a lot, mm. and they're all super superficial, yeah. but they're all they all seem to communicate this same sort of idea of like. It's just like you came over to, like, the Mona Lisa or something like that, and you were looking at it, and, you know, you just were like, wow, that looks great. 
That is so good. But, <laughs> but, here's something I don't think you've thought of. <laughs> and then they just, like, f- <laughs> get a crayon and draw, like, Groucho Marx glasses on it. <laughs> and then they walk away, like... Uh, there, there you go. You see, you never see? thought. Did you? You didn't think of it like that before, did you? <laughs> yeah. Now uh, you understand her backstory. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then they they take a little bow and they walk away with a saucy yeah. wink. Yeah. And one of the things that um, I wasn't. There's been a lot of talk about how this film almost there ought to be like a consultancy credit for cinema sins on this thing because <laughs> yeah yeah. It, did you watch Lindsay Ellis's? That's one. Yeah, yeah I saw that yeah. And, and another couple like that that. Uh, Really lean into what I, you know, took as an assumption. Yeah. That the film was trying to answer your your burning questions about yeah. how could this be like this and how did this story yeah. end up like this. Yeah. Um, and I kind of thought that that was just a bit of assumption. But in my travels, yeah. uh, looking at the interviews, it does seem to have been the thing that the director was setting out to do. Not not answer cinema sins uh, no. or that sort of person's nitpicks. Yeah. But... They seem... Uh, what was it the director said? that The first thing he got into was... How could it be... Oh, okay, if we're going to have this setup of these sorts of characters... Yeah. How do we address the differences between that and something that can exist in real life without raising questions of his own? So, for example, yeah. um, we can't have a film in which the main interaction between Gaston and LeFou is punching. That yes. would that would be really horrible. So yeah. So what instead can we do? That's a real world version of that. And from, once you're in that mindset, yeah, you do end up going to like, why doesn't the nearby town remember that just ten years ago they were ruled over by a prince? Yeah, who's gone now? Yeah. Or what? You were at the prince's castle. That yes. sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the problem is that when you get into that, you end up not just answering. <laughs> You end up answering unanswered questions yeah. without perhaps realising that they were deliberately unanswered. Yes. And I think that's what happened. I think there's a few of these points where it's not that they didn't think of it. It's that animated films, particularly the best ones, and this the, this was made in, yeah. in the era of some of the best ones, was so meticulously crafted that yeah. literally everything that didn't serve the story was, was removed yeah. and or not addressed. Yeah. And so... They probably did think to answer some of these questions. Like, the thing that the director particularly brings up first is, what is the backstory of how Belle and her father came to be outsiders in this town? Like, they moved there. They live there. That's something that... (laughs) Well, not even moved there. That's the thing. So you've gone with moved there. That's a perfectly good extrapolation from the story. Another would be... They just live there and are different from some of the other people there. But isn't... this film seems to want to have yeah. there to be like they had to flee a plague town. No, there's a, there's a lyric in in Bell like every morning just the same. Since the morning that we came, yeah. yes. Well, that's right. But do you see that's a, that's a perfect example of what I'm talking about because on the one hand that can be extrapolated to mean the morning that my father and I moved from where we previously lived, or it can mean since the settlers landed here. Do you see what I mean? It can right. mean. It, there's room there for yeah. you to go. Yeah, people are here now. Yeah. And it's almost important not to answer the question any further than that. Yeah. Because once you do, you're not talking to the story anymore. You're just making up other stuff. Yeah. And that is the, a problem with almost all of the dropped-in stuff in this film yeah. that's added to the story. It's kind of, 
okay, I, yes, you're right in a way that this expands the characters, but it doesn't expand the story, the oh, themes. the themes, yeah. Like, texturally and thematically, mm. none of those questions have anything to do with the core mm. story of Beauty and the Beast. Especially not if you're then going to... Um, I, I feel like I'm accidentally dragging us away from things that you'll have a much more sensible time to talk about, but Gaston now has a sort of backstory. Yeah. And it... There are various times throughout the film when it tries to in like it tries to affect his character, but also they're trying to do the same things they yeah. did in the original version as well. Yeah. And the two clash. They do, yeah. Like that's it. Everything this film adds doesn't fit into it. Mm. Like it's literally like they've just taken a machine that that, that worked and just put cogs in it, mm-hmm. like. And, like, riveted them in and everything mm-hmm. without, like, really checking, like, yeah, but are those going to turn? Yeah. <laughs> are those going to turn in the same direction? Yeah. Is that going to affect what the machine overall does? Yeah. It's like, we're not going to check that, but... Are the emotions on its face going to be readable? God. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's it. The whole film. Yeah. When I look at everything in the film, mm. it's all embellishments that take away. Yeah. From what it is. That's consistent across the visual design. Yeah. It's consistent across the production of the musical numbers. Yeah. It's consistent across the themes and the stories and the character arcs. Yeah. Like, everything that was in the original is still there. Jostling for attention with a whole bunch of stuff that they just added on. Mm. That doesn't belong there or that takes away from it. And this is something I didn't feel from the stage version, even though yeah. same concept. It's it, the story is expanded and so yeah. on, but or rather, well, I should say the script is expanded. I don't yeah. think that they added any of this extraneous stuff at all. Yeah, and it and that was good, and it did all the things you've just described, but it did them well. So I know it can be done. Yeah. Well, what well, Aladdin? Yeah. As well, yeah. like I'm so glad. Yeah. That they gave us that. Yeah. Because I'd never thought. Having seen this, I was sure Aladdin was going to be just insulting. Yeah. And and I, I really thought it was going to be a, a horrible to watch. Yeah, yeah. And it was really cool, so like, yeah. you can do it. And that was what Aladdin did. All the bits from Aladdin that need to play like the bits from Aladdin, they just let them play. Yeah. And then they added stuff around it that didn't get in the way of those things. It just gave you a different lead into those things yeah. so that... When the thing came, it felt a bit different. Yeah. Or it felt like it was informed by a slightly different thing. Or there was a different undertone going on around it. But it didn't ever take... Like, all the bits of Aladdin that are the emotionally important bits, they still land. Yeah. You know, like the... Oh, you know, like, oh, the bit where the genie feels let down because, like, Aladdin's not going to grant... You know, not going to set him free or whatever. It's like... None of the extra stuff they've had around there complicates yeah. or takes away from that emotion. And in fact, that's a good moment to pick because I think the genie is the weird CG genie in that moment and it still doesn't ruin yeah, the moment. exactly. Whereas everything in Beauty and the Beast takes away from everything else. Yes, like, it does. It's one of those, it's a weird film where genuinely, and I, I know this sounds hyperbolic and I'm trying to qualify it before yep. I commit to it but I literally can't think of any decisions in it that I agree with there's a couple that I do agree with um, 
I quite enjoyed, and 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 they are they are new bits that aren't uh, from the original. So I quite enjoyed the new Maurice scene early on, where he's making his little model, and it's not from the original film, and it's just yeah. him by himself. I thought that was a perfectly good treatment of Maurice. He was a bit of a a silly silly little boy man child character yeah. before, and I've had no problem with the. I, I didn't. There were a lot of stuff they did with him that I didn't like, but yeah. that first scene, which is why I limit it to a certain scene, yes, yeah. I found that to be promising, including the little song that he sings. I had no problem yeah. with him singing a little song sure. with the song he sings. Um, I've always thought that there was room to make him <laughs> sadder. Um, yeah. Because there's. I, I actually. Th- nobody's ever done this. This isn't text. This is entirely in my head, but you know when you have the soundtrack to a musical and you imagine it. Well, I always feel as if there's a there's a moment in his song, his duet with Belle early on, in, where uh, the musical in the musical, yeah, yeah, where which is a very nice song. It's a very nice song, and it sort of slows down at the end, and he says, "No matter what the pain, we've come this far." And it's he's referring to you know the fact that they're kind of outcasts in the village, but yeah. I always thought it'd be nice if there was just like a there was a picture of the the missing mum there, yeah, yeah, for them to nod yeah. towards on the stage. They never do that, but I just yeah. think they kind of should that. There was an undertone of that with this version of Maurice. Um, yeah. Cool. I'm, I'm up for that. I don't think it played out how I liked and especially how, you know, the, how far they took that particular thing oh in the end. Oh, my God. <laughs> but as a, as a general concept, I'm, I'm all right with it. Um, yeah. I think there was another bit that I thought was all right. There was a, I can't remember what it is now, but there was a scene later on with, interestingly enough, uh, Belle and the Beast. Mm. I think it was the bit where they're sitting outside and having their, oh, the, I'm a bit of an outcast in my village conversation yeah there's an element to that scene that i thought was fine yeah and that is it the one thing i can think of is there is one exchange (laughs) between cogsworth and lumiere that is new that i found entertaining oh really i don't think there was one that i found entertaining. i laughed a little bit at the line where (laughs) where cogsworth mentions the west wing yeah and then they're like Oh wait, no, there is no West Wing. Oh yeah, we haven't even got one, yeah. We haven't even got one. Let's take you instead to the East Wing, or as we like to call it, the only wing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. So I like that line. Yeah. I, I'm afraid I didn't like the delivery of no, that No, no, I don't like the delivery of it. Right, exactly. Yeah. So it's, and that that's so much in this film. Yeah. There's so many ideas that are like, yeah, yeah that would have been fine. Yeah. And this, okay, the version of the film that I would have liked... And that they seem to have thought they were making yeah. from the rev- from the interviews that I've listened to. Yeah, is this? And I don't know how to describe it, but is this? You know, j- just imagine a good version of we expand the story, we make yeah. it real. Um, I'm imagining a lot of <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, but but imagine something a bit more. Oh, let's say a bit less. Bad. Aladdin was a, Aladdin was a silly film. Yes, Beauty and the Beast wants to be a quite serious take on Beauty and the Beast, and yeah. there's a version of that that could have been quite lyrical and beautiful and poetic. And, oh yeah, and and flowery and all of that. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, the style that they actually committed to with the delivery of all the lines, yeah, is like a like a bad slapstick version. It's like a parody of it. It is. That that's I think that's another area where you feel that sense of insult coming mm. in. I don't. I feel like everyone that's, here is yeah. a caricature. That is where it comes from. Mm-hmm. It's, the, it's the fact that lines that should have been serious yeah. are delivered in cartoony voices like that. Either cartoony voices or so modern and so yeah. detached yeah. that it sounds like they're trying to be above 
the line and the material. Yeah. And at no point does anyone land where they're supposed to have yeah. landed. They do both of those different... Uh, those are two separate things, and they do both of them, and they do them with no real consistency. Uh, the, the moment that it really kicks off, and I... And I because yes, you have the Moulin Rouge bit at the start, but I kind of at that point was still on board. I quite liked the tune they were singing, and like I wasn't sure why it was there, but melody-wise, yeah. I quite liked it. Yeah. But you have the um, the moment that I realised I wasn't going to enjoy the tone of it was when um, the narration goes, "But who could ever learn to love a beast?" <laughs> As the years passed, he fell into despair and lost all hope. For who could ever learn to love a beast? For who could ever learn to love a beast? And I was like, well, that's what you do to take the piss out of this film. That's a joke version of it. I I don't agree with your interpretation (laughs) of that line reading. But I do otherwise agree that Emma Thompson was bad. (laughs) Emma Thompson is not bad. So how does that happen? Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. By that. Yeah. Ian McKellen. Good. Yeah. <laughs> but not in this. Yeah. Yeah. Ewan McGregor, good. Yes. You know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, I'm just, tr- I'm like, look, <laughs> I feel like we've, we've staked out the perimeter of this. Yeah. Thing now. We don't, we don't like, like it, readers. Sorry. Yeah, I feel like we stayed out the perimeter, and I feel like we want to go in on the assault. <laughs> we want to barge down. We want to. Yeah. We're, we're, at the, we're in the process of chopping down the tree. We're battering, ramming the door, and how do we get into oh, this? But wait a minute, because the tree's gone back up to its its previous what? erect state by some sort of magical process. What was that? I don't know. There it is. That's the tree. I'm sure of it. It, it was downed by lightning at the time, uh, but now it's resumed an upright position through some sort of magic or, or other. <laughs> Why was that in here? I don't know. Like... <sighs> yeah, so listen, yeah. I'm trying... I don't like being mean anymore. Yeah. I've, I'm through my phase of being performatively unpleasant about things, and I... I have no other way of engaging with this because it was performatively unpleasant to me. Yeah, I know what you mean. It was mean to me. This film was mean to me and I kind of want to like... Not exact your revenge. (laughs) That was what I was trying to not say. (laughs) Not revenge, but like... I just want to tell Miss on it. Yeah. Like, I I feel like I need to report what it did. You want it to get detention. Yeah. yeah. And it is... There is a... And look, if there's anybody listening who loves this, because there must be people who love this. It mm. was so popular. It made so much money. Yeah. Um, I... Yeah, there is nostalgia talking here, and I can't get around that. You know, I was talking earlier about how yeah. so, so many of the things that I do were informed by the Disney films at this time. The, the fact that I'm making a podcast now, yeah. you can trace it back to the day that I got this tape recorder of my own and the tape I got with it was the Beauty and the Beast soundtrack yeah. to listen to. It this is in me in a way that I can't extract myself from. Agreed. And so yes, there's going to be a certain amount of nostalgic fondness for the old one. But the thing but is, but I think everyone agrees the old one was more or less perfect. And this, but here's the thing though. This is something that I think people talk about nostalgia quite mm. reductively, mm. as if there's only one way that nostalgia can inform yeah. what you do. 
uh, how you react to, to something new that is designed to evoke nostalgia or that challenges your nostalgia. You can react in one of any number of ways. And frankly, we have mm-hmm. over the course of the three most recent live action yeah. remakes that we've watched. Yeah. We had Aladdin, which was the, we're nostalgic about this and therefore, wow, we like this and we're probably forgiving it for certain mm. sins yeah. because we're nostalgic and it's carrying us through. Then there was the Lion King where it's like, we're nostalgic and we recognize the nostalgic beats that are being played here, but you know, it's, it's not, we acknowledge that it's not really enough to carry us through the other faults with this film. And then there's this end yep. of it, which is we're nostalgic, therefore this upsets us. Yeah, yeah good, very good point. Um, that's, ah, uh, let's cut that out and just put it all over the internet. I like that <laughs> bit. But I'm so glad that we that we did jump the gun and put the Aladdin episode out because now yeah. I've proved it's not just me being like this about remakes. Or having one only one yeah. reaction to nostalgia. Yeah. Like, no, we react to nostalgia the way that the material we're given activates our nostalgia and yeah. you can activate it negatively as well as positively. And this was all negative. It was. Uh from a nostalgic point of view, and honestly, just from a watching a film point I think of view. We, yeah, I think we've established that we can analyse things and we're not just being idiots. We're like, no. Y- yeah, this this wasn't good. No, I don't like anything about this film. No. <laughs> I really don't. No, like, I don't. From start to finish, I just don't like it. And it's not the worst film I've ever seen. No. But it's one of the films that I feel the least desire to go to bat for or like yeah. speak fondly of it and it's it's one of the ones like there's a small category of films that, and it's only small in my case where like kind of what whatever bad thing I hear someone say about it I'll kind of laugh yeah you know it's just I kind of feel almost like there's nothing that's too mean to say about that <laughs> film and like it's, it's not like I'll feel that and if, you, if that person's just being an absolute <laughs> Or is just a <laughs> yeah. I'll still think, oh well, that guy's a <laughs> yeah. But I'll still laugh at when they knocked Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. like there's, and it's only a small category of like films that I just can't be doing with on any <laughs> level. And like this is one of them, and it's honestly, it's one of the better films that I put in that category. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, this isn't Terminator Genesis. <laughs> this isn't. Independence Day Resurgence. It's not X Men Apocalypse. It's much better and much more sincerely made than any of those films. But I don't like well, anything. That's in why it. it's such a letdown. Yeah. It had again. It had the ingredients. It had the tools. It had everything it needed to be great. Yeah. And it decided to be this. Speaking of all the right ingredients, let's take a break here to consider those ingredients. The original 1991 film Beauty and the Beast. Does it hold up today? We asked our youth correspondent, Ewan O'Leary. Hello and welcome to the segment that we like to call Serious Missed This. I can't decide if I like to call it that, but it's what we call it. Um, (laughs) But Ewan does. This is Ewan. Hello. Who is young and missed the 90s Disneys, and so I'm making him watch them for the purposes of our podcast. So, in the case of this episode, he has never seen Beauty and the Beast, and I mean the original, what, 1990, I want to say, one Beauty and the Beast. Why are you asking me? (laughs) I don't know. Well, because you've done slightly more preparation for this than I have, such as trying to remember what we did last time (laughs) and that. So, uh, you haven't seen Beauty and the Beast, but you've lived in a society where Beauty and the Beast has been 
in existence and all that time. So you must have uh-huh. some sense of what this film's about. So before you, he still hasn't watched it, and he's going to watch it for our podcast as an ex- a world exclusive. Mm. <laughs> uh-huh. What? What? Just using a, a a cross between cultural osmosis and you know guesswork and logic. I want your unfiltered sense of what it's all about. Plus guessing because uh-huh. you know there's a in a, to a certain extent you're pitching what you think it should be about as well. I, I should say the the biggest like window into Beauty and the Beast that I got was when the remake came out. So oh. like I know things about the remake. I, I know more things about the remake than I know about the movie. Oh. But uh, yeah, what do you reckon? Tell me about Disney's Beauty and the Beast. Okay, so Beauty and the Beast. It opens with the song that goes bonjour. Is it called bonjour? No, it's called bell. Okay, so the song that goes bonjour, 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 bonjour. Bonjour, 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 that one. (laughs) From that, I can deduce that we are in France. Correct. But Belle won't be speaking French, probably. She'll just be an American who speaks American all the time. She lives in France, and she has a blue dress, which makes her different from the other ones. (laughs) There's a manor, and I think uh, she goes to the manor because there's been some kind of Luigi's Mansion-style lottery where this is her manor. She's won a manor. Right. And she's going, to, she's going to this uninhabited manor, and then she goes to the manor, and oh, there's people. But they're not people. They're things. They're, they're, one of them is a, is a big furry man, and his name, he has no name. He's the beast. <laughs> his name is the Beast. His name is the Beast. And... <laughs> 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 because Twas Beauty killed the beast. Um, hey, spoilers. We're too early on in the film at this spoilers. point. Spoilers. <laughs> spoilers for King Kong. I'm happy to give the spoiler that she doesn't kill the beast, despite what King Kong may have laid out. Yeah, no, I I know that because of, like, I know that there's a human version of beast that, like, all the furries are disappointed is not as hot as furry man beast. <laughs> <laughs> and the non-furries, if I... Mm, yeah, if no, that, that's a... all, all I know is that most people think he's hotter when he's a beast. Yeah. Which, fair. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I don't think she she wins it. But how does she end up at the manor? Because he's a prince, so he has to be a prince of somewhere, and I don't think he's the prince of France. Yeah. So it has to be somewhere else that she goes from France. So that means that she ends up on some sort of, like, explorer boat that goes to a different... Co- For some reason or other, she leaves France to go to some uh, exotic European country with a furry monarchy. Uh, <laughs> so she must have, like, aspirations of exploring. And maybe she reads books, and the books are all about all the wonderful places in the world that aren't boring old France, where people are just singing bonjour every morning, and Belle, Belle can't stand that. So she stows away on a boat to go to explore the coast of Europe, and at some point uh, she gets noticed. I'm going to say she gets noticed by the chef off the boat from Little Mermaid, from Little Mermaid because yeah. I want him to come back. Yeah. So Les Poissons, chef, throws Belle off of the ship. She's got her bindle, and she's God knows where in Europe, and so she walks to the first house that she sees, and this it's this big old manor, yeah. and she knocks on the door, and the door opens, and, it's, and there's like a shadow looming over her, and yeah. the door slowly creaks open, and there's a big beast man, and he says, I'm gonna steal you and make you have Stockholm Syndrome, and she goes, oh no! And then he, he picks her up, and he, he walks into the manor, and he closes the door, and he puts her down, and some teacups start singing Be Our Guest. Uh-huh. 
<laughs> Why do the teacups sing Be Our Guest? I think at this moment she's protesting that she's a prisoner and they're saying she's not a prisoner, mm. they're saying she's a guest. And so this song is treating her as a guest despite her clearly being here against her will and that being right. an element. So all the way through Be Our Guest, she keeps trying to escape Be Our Guest and they keep <laughs> and they keep like <laughs> locking the doors and windows so that she has to sit down and listen yes, to the rest that, of the song. That better be what happens because that sounds great. Can I tell you that that actually does happen in the remake and it's so bad. <laughs> Although not during Be Our Guest. Okay, so Be Our Guest gets sung. Yep. And then some things have to happen that lead to that big ballroom dance scene. Yes. So what are they? Hmm. Gaston. Gaston exists. Gaston I remember does exist. Gaston. He eats eggs. He does. <laughs> and he has a little man. That's his main character trait. Is he? So he's the local town egg eater. But he's in the local town and I've decided mm-hmm. that, that this manor must be away you have yeah Mm. so maybe gaston his heroics relate to that his heroics is that he's the explorer he's the captain cook type who's on the boat so when he's showing off bell hears about him telling everybody about oh i'm gonna go off to this crazy expedition she's like "Ooh, i'll have that and she hops on his boat and then when she gets thrown off maybe les poisson man throws uh bell off the ship and gaston finds out and he thinks oh there was a woman I want a woman. I'm an I'm a Disney man, and our character traits are usually I want the woman. <laughs> so what does Gaston want? Yeah. Somebody magic made the beast a beast. Yes. That might be involved somehow. Maybe Gaston wants something from the magic person, and maybe it's the same thing that was promised Beast for mm. whatever agreement Beast made with the magic person. Yeah. They were like, oh, I'll give you endless riches or eternal life. It must be, a, it's eternal life, isn't it? Because the Beast lives forever and that's the problem. And the Beast is like an ancient prince relative to Bell, and Gaston wants eternal life. There's no point in asking me to confirm any of these guesses. I'm not going to uh-huh. give you any indication. Okay. <laughs> so Gaston wants eternal life. He wants the ring of Omega and he yeah. wants to live forever and he's looking for it. And that's what the expedition was. He was looking right. for the magic person who would give him eternal life. So he finds out about the prince and he goes looking for him whilst Bell is being their guest. <laughs> and Bell is falling for Beast. And then suddenly Gaston arrives and Gaston wants to take it from him. Hmm. And Bell's upset, partly because that may mean that Beast will die. And partly because it will mean he will no longer be a hot furry mm. man and instead will be a boring human man. Yeah. The curse gets broken, but Gaston dies, I think. Or does he die or does he, like, get eternal life and then he falls off a cliff and then he's like, ah, and then he goes in the sea, but he can't drown. So he's, like, trapped in the sea forever. Oh, so, like, the oh, that'd be the worst Disney villain death possible (laughs) because you're, you're dying forever. And Beast is a man now and Belle's like, oh. He's all right, and I I have a a love for him that I've developed over the course of this movie. Whilst I was I don't know walking around a big house <laughs> and singing songs while I was in a big house, and Gaston was like Monty Python running towards her for the whole movie, and then suddenly he arrives at the end. Uh, what kind of ticking time bomb thing is she trying to do while she's in the house? She yeah. must be like you know you're you're onto something there. Because this, I would say, is mm. the most ticking time bomb Disney film that I can think of. It's got the, the oh. clearest countdown clock going on. And it's not the little clock man that you're probably aware is in this film. Right. 
I mean, I, I couldn't have remembered that it was a clock man, but now that you've said it, yeah, I can picture the clock man. So it'll be some kind of curse hourglass, right? So maybe if it is an eternal life, it's like at the end of the hourglass, all the people something. <laughs> all the people either get saved or turn to dust, maybe. Maybe maybe, maybe that's it. They're all going to turn oh. to dust. And she's like, oh, he, and, and the beast needs her to fall in love with him because if not everyone's going to f- turn to dust or something. Right. Yeah, that's probably it. And and meanwhile, Gaston's running from the distance. <laughs> have I got it? Have I got it mostly figured out? Or there's side there's also side characters who have things. See, that's true. I thought Sebastian was just going to be jokes last time and then he yeah. turned out to be a character who has stuff going on. Yeah. If you yeah, if you if you're going in expecting nothing but jokes from sebastian akin to you know donkey from shrek yeah that's nobody has yet lowered animation to that state because we haven't had shrek yet come in and ruin everything so yeah Uh no we already we still have characters in those days and uh sometimes people Mm -hmm. go a whole film without farting it's it was a it was a this is why they called it the uh golden era so they want to get turned back that's what their want is they want to be human again and so i think what that means that's the name of one of the new songs, isn't it? Hume Again? Mm. So there must be a thing going on where they want to be human again, and the way that they'll get human again is if the beast falls in love mm. and has true love's kiss or something. Right. And so they're trying to facilitate that and trying to push Belle in that direction, and she's not going in that direction immediately, but she will uh, towards the end of the movie, and that's that'll be what they're trying to do, so... I think I've figured that out sufficiently. Mm, I, yeah. I'm getting a better picture of it as we talk about it more. I think you've described a story here. So Belle wins a mansion in the competition Luigi entered. <laughs> uh, Gaston takes a boat because he wants eternal life. Belle says, I'll have that. She jumps on mm-hmm. and she stows away on the boat. Oh, she's a stowaway on the boat. Even better, yeah. yeah she's a stowaway. Gaston doesn't know she's there until after Le Poisson Man has already thrown her off. Uh-huh. And then when she's thrown off, she's got her bindle. She's walking alone. She's all homeless. Yeah. Maybe she has an encounter with, you know, some ruffians or something. And then she arrives at the manor where she gets kind of kidnapped, low-key kidnapped, and Candleman and Clock want to be human again, and so they need Beast to fall in love with her. Maybe, I think Beast probably wants it less than Belle does. Like, I I feel like that would be part of the thing, that Beast knows this is something that all of his people deserve, but he's not at a state where he's like, well, I'm not just gonna fall in love with the first woman who shows up at my house. So, they both have to be convinced over the course of the movie to fall in love with each other by everyone else around them who are all probably living in with considerable pain and fear because they're made of porcelain and could easily break and die. Yeah. And then Gaston arrives looking for eternal life. He wants to steal it from, from Beast and Belle's like, oh no, and then he falls in the sea and everyone gets human again and everyone lives happily ever after except Belle who is a furry. <laughs> so she just leaves. That's the end. She's just like, yeah. oh. No, and then she she goes off and finds somebody else. So the question is, <laughs> should find somebody else. Uh, you'll do. <laughs> yeah, you're a bit hairy. <laughs> <laughs> she just finds whoever the hairiest local is. <laughs> yeah. So now the question is, how did Disney take that framework and add Disney magic to it? And uh, will you be satisfied with the result? And I guess we'll find out when we reconvene on the next part of Serious Missed This. Yeah. Yeah. Look forward to that. Yep. 
I know the Disney tune. I was going to say, that started as Disney and it ended up as Star Trek. And now, let's get back to the main conversation where me and Jahan were just talking about how we don't think the remake is good. And it's, like you say, there's something about its wrong-headedness that is yeah. so infuriating. And it's, yeah, it's, it has made decisions to be this, but you, then you think, God, you, you people are all talented people. I want, Did no one question any of these decisions? That's, no, exactly, yeah. So, like, if we take out, take a vertical slice of part of the film. Yeah. Take Lumiere. Sure. Here we have yeah. a very, very appealing character in the original. Yeah. Really beloved, brilliant performance, brilliant design. Everything about him is great. Yeah. In this film, we have a series of decisions that sort of you can you can take each one and see how it was a good idea. And see how it would all add up to Lumiere. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Ewan McGregor. He is a charming performer. Yeah. But he's nothing like Lumiere. He doesn't have a French accent. He can't do a French accent. No. He has a history of having been alleged to sing. (laughs) But... Oh, you disagree. But I sort of disagree. I yeah, I, I tentatively disagree as well. Um, not and I and I I do tentatively disagree because he's not like he can't like he's tone deaf and can't sing. No, but he's not Seth Rogen, right? But Jerry Orbach was a sh- a song a showman. Yeah, he was right for that. Yeah, and so what they've picked is someone who isn't right for yeah. this. Yeah. Now the design. Um, I was recently at a museum, yeah. and I wish I could tell you which one it was. It was the Bose Museum in Barnard Castle, County Durham. Ooh! But they had a load of stuff from this era, yeah, and from France, yeah. And it turns out that they that that incredibly frilly, flowery design aesthetic that they went with for all of the stuff in this film, yeah. Lumiere in particular, yeah. is absolutely bang on. I'm sure. I, they like, got I it felt I didn't feel that that was the ground. not true at all. Yeah. So great. Yeah. But yeah. it doesn't look like anything when you put it on screen in that size yeah. with those surroundings. Yeah. A little a little thing that you've got to focus on the details and the details are so much that you can't find a face on it. Yeah. And when you do, you realise that it's like just like a little man in a coat. It's just a it's a statue of a man. It's not even a candelabra. It's a statue of a man. Yeah. That happens to have a couple of candles coming out of it. Yeah. Um. So that doesn't work. Yeah. Thus removing all the kind of anthropomorphic yeah. charm of that yeah. character. I mean, I, I yeah totally agree that it wouldn't have it would have looked bad if they tried to make his head like a candle maybe unless unless the general art direction of the film was made to to make it work or okay let's let's do this here done it like the sage version they what they did in this film which do you remember when we were watching um cinderella and i got frustrated that they went as far as to establish the 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 branch the first branch that touches your top hat like bring me that and that in the old story, it's from that that the fairy godmother arises when she plants that branch on her mother's grave. Yeah. And I was annoyed that they went to the extent of finding that of set, that setup, mm-hmm. and then just out of nowhere bringing a fairy godmother in, yeah. ignoring that setup. They've done the equivalent here. 
the stage musical, aware that they couldn't have little tiny candles and teapots dancing around, came up with the concept that they did take and use in this film, which is that we are turning into inanimate objects. Yeah. That's from the stage version. And the way that they do it is that over the course of the show, they're getting more objecty. Yeah. So they, they start out, uh, Lumiere um, is essentially, you know, what you would imagine as a human Lumiere. Yeah. But his sort of, it's the word bouffant, his big white fluffy hair thing yeah. that they had yeah. in those days. That pompadour bouffant yeah. thing, yeah. Is starting to look a bit candly shaped and he has the sort of candle hands. Yeah. And then as it goes on, that hairpiece gets taller, looks more candly. I Cogsworth gets, there's an actual scene in the show where Cogsworth realises he now has a windy-up key coming out of his back I and he see. didn't used to have. Stuff like that. So they're, you know, they they always look kind of objecty, but of course the reason they did that is because they had to have human performers on stage and come up with a reason to do that. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying that necessarily is what they should have done in the film, but it's an option. Yeah. And it would have been better, yeah. even though, if, as we both imagine it, I'm sure you're not imagining anything particularly good, would have been better than this, though. Yeah. And that opens the door to like, okay, so maybe there's something else that would have been better again. Or yeah. maybe the whole look of the film could have been just cartooned up a notch yeah. so that a face on a candle would have been fine. Yeah. Because they seem to have thought that those faces on the teapot and teacup were fine, and they weren't. No, they weren't. <laughs> They're not fine. They, and it's those. That solution is so uncreative. Yeah, just draw a face just on. Just draw a face on a teapot. Like why? <laughs> yeah. Why? Why is that face there? Yeah, when you've gone to such great lengths to put one on the clock. Yeah. Which I, I didn't think came out well, but I do have a lot of respect for the idea. Yeah. Of like, because yes, when you turn, and there's, there's a, a fairly viral picture of this, but I've, I've seen it in real life. Turn an, al- an old-fashioned alarm clock round, and the little dials and knobs that operate it look like a face. Yeah. There are so many ways that you can make that happen, and they did one which, you know, sometimes does work. Yeah. A lot of the time it doesn't, but... Yeah. I, if, if the story you're telling is that these people are losing their humanity, then okay, I get that you would do that. So then why are you drawing a face on a teapot? <laughs> why are you making the, the candelabra just a little man? Here's an idea. Don't even give them faces. Yeah. Just have them move around like the, the magic carpet. Yeah, yeah, Works yeah. brilliantly both in live action and animation on the magic carpet. Yeah. Yes, you can have a teapot just... Oh, yeah, it, was, it wouldn't just... It's Disney. It wouldn't just be rocking around on its base. <laughs> no, I know, yeah. There, but that would be one of the pieces of physical language they would have incorporated into whatever they did do. Yeah. There are so many ways they could have done it, and, and the, the decisions they did make are always baffling. And they're not yeah. just baffling on a... You can't sit back and go... So I went the vertical slice. I went, let's just look yeah. at Lumiere. Now we pull the camera back. The other things don't agree with those decisions. No. So every character has its own... You have to puzzle out the, the, the film's language for each yeah. aspect yeah. that they put in it. Because I don't feel like... Like you just say, Mrs. Potts, Lumiere, Cogsworth, they are not all from the same design language no. at all. They're not, they're not all taking the same solution. Yeah. And they don't mesh. No. And... They don't mesh with how, like, honestly, given how fussy and how much they're fighting the design, the the original animated designs with those characters, honestly, it makes Belle's cartoon accurate costumes Mm. look cartoonish. Yeah. I remember us saying that that was one of the things in Aladdin, that was, to revisit to the one thing we didn't think worked in Aladdin... Jafar's costume 
is objectively a good version of... It's a good interpretation of Jafar's animated costume, but because the actor isn't stylizing himself in a way that, that fits the costume, yep. the costume looks bad on him yep. in a way that it doesn't on anybody else. Whereas in this film, that's all of the film. It is. It's, yeah, it's every aspect of the film versus every other aspect. So, like... Uh, where's the picture I'm trying to find you? Hang on a minute. Is this from the stage show? It will be. Here is Lumiere stage costume. I see. And the reason I, I show it to you is that I actually think this shares a lot in common with the general design aesthetic of the version in the film. Yeah, you've I agree. You've got black and gold kind of colour. Yeah. Uh, you've got the fiddly frilliness. Yeah. But it does fit. If you just want to like flick through the pictures, you'll see that basically everything does connect together and fit in a way that doesn't have that clashing thing to it. Because yeah. they all have aspects of the same, say, colour scheme or design direction on them. That I think the makers of this film, or the designers of this film, were quite reasonably hoping and assuming would come across in this because they were going yeah. from a, a from the same actual era of object design. But yeah. unfortunately, it doesn't. And they, it was, it's looking at these pictures again. It's, it's... I've, I've handed your hand the big uh, the, the, the hardback book of that they made to tie in with the stage show. And it looks great. It yep. looks great. Like, the, these aesthetics all work, and they look consistent with each other, and they look like they... That you can also see that they come from a similar school of thought. Yeah. You, you Like, looking at this, it's quite, it becomes quite easy to understand the degree to which this film was... A film of this. Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. There are so many bits. And I'll tell you what the most egregious one is. This is the bit. And I say egregious because you'd think I would like it. Yeah. But there's a bit that just broke my heart. And that is when they show her around her room. Yeah. And her solo from the musical just plays. They uh, do. And you won't have known because you wouldn't have been fam enough, familiar enough with it. But yeah. when they do at the pan across of her room, which maybe you might have noticed went on overly long. That's because they play basically all of... Uh, is this home Belle's right. song that she sings when she's locked in the tower? Yeah, and it's and they play it all, and it's a gorgeous, it's a perfect movie orchestra rendition of the music yeah. from the stage show. And if that if they just have her sing the song, it would have been right. It would have been perfect. Yeah. And so to have that dangling end there yeah. at all, it's the only. There's no other music that's just from the stage show, but that one is just from the stage show. It's not a theme from the original animated film, as far as yeah. I can remember, and it's. And they play it more or less start to finish with all the same little background orchestrations. Everything, everything yeah. in the background is the same. It's almost as if they recorded it and then just cut off the vocal track. It's so weird. Yeah. To illustrate this point, let's compare the two versions now. I'm going to play two short clips at the same time, and in one ear you're going to hear the incidental music used in the film, and in the other ear you're going to hear the London version of the song from the musical, and I think you'll find that if I play them at the same time and sync them up, they are going to match so closely that they're not going to sound like they're two different things in two different ears, it's probably just going to sound like normal stereo music. Let's find out. Welcome to your new home. It's modest, but comfortable. But I don't deserve to lose my freedom in this way. You monster. If you think that what you've done it's, is right, it's beautiful. But of course, Master, I wanted you to have the finest room in the castle. <coughs> oh dear, we were not expecting guests. 
Enchantée, mademoiselle. Don't worry, I'll have this place spotless in no time. And it is like them saying, like, uh, we're not doing it. Uh, no, 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 we're not doing the film right. Uh, we're not doing the musical right, but they're not doing the film right. And it just, it makes me sad. It really does. But, and it's like you say, you know for a fact that that's not what they meant. Yeah. But that's so how it comes yeah, across. that was an Easter egg put in yeah. by, I maybe, uh, there would have been a time when I would have said just Alan Menken, but I know it's the director now as well. Yeah. Also, when they enter the castle, yeah. The uh the, the so the set on stage of the castle is yeah. one of the most memorable things about the show and it's what they didn't have in the touring production. Absolutely incredible. When Maurice first goes in there, yeah. and you have heard the soundtrack now, there's a ba 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 and of course that's because the curtains come up. Right. And they just wheel onto the stage the whole castle, it just roves forwards and it's yeah. an incredible looking thing. Yeah. There's yeah. a picture in here that I can show you. This is the best picture that I can find of it. Oh nice, yeah. It was okay. this giant set, including everything. You have the library, yeah. you have the West Wing, yeah. you have the that down there is the little um cell that yeah. Maurice actually I've got a better picture up here. There, there's you can see most of it there. So they this whole castle set moves forward that contains every single thing you're ever gonna need them to do in the castle. Yeah. And there's the West Wing with the with the rose in the jar, all yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, in the film, when they enter the castle, I reckon it's basically the perfect. Tr- it's great. It's it the the moment where Maurice first looks up and there's the you know you're up in the rafters looking down, or it could be Belle, one of them, and you're looking down at all the winding steps and so on. It's like the logical translation of that set to film. Yeah, it is great. Yeah, and then things again start to clash somehow yeah. all the pieces all the tools like i say the cast the alan megan yeah the director yeah all of the stuff they've got and and i'll go and, and now here's one that i'm dancing around so i i feel like i'll be an, a big mean old man if i talk about emma watson in this film like i do you know what i mean i yeah. don't think that she i think she was fine but they shouldn't have given her the job. Yeah. Like, they... Emma Watson wasn't wrong in anything she did here. But the people who chose Emma Watson to be in yeah. it were wrong yeah. in choosing her for the, for that role. And not because she can't XYZ. Because... they Just because of the reasons you cast people for stuff. They yeah. The only reason that she is a good pick for this is because of her name recognition. Yeah. yeah. And, oh, and... The I I and the casting directors of this yeah. imagine role she plays in the lives of the girls who were going to go and see the film. Yes. So great there, good, and also kudos to her for being that and for having that role in their lives and sure. for doing the sort of activism that she has. Yeah. I agree. like her. I like yeah. Emma Watson. Yeah. Um and I don't want to say anything mean about her. I'm not going to be mean, but I am going I like <laughs> I am going to respect her as a professional, yes. which means approaching her work uh, in the same way that I would evaluate any yeah. professional's work. And like I say, the worst thing I'll say about her is that I just think she's apocalyptically miscast. Yes. Quite honestly. Uh, there's not a single thing quite right about her being Belle. No. Like, I think this this will open out into a broader discussion okay. about casting and characterization uh, yeah. in general. Let's go there. Because that's one of the wrongest things in the film. Uh, yeah, even though, and you can see again, yeah. why from their perspective, from the perspective of the team, they're like, look at this pool yeah. of talent we've got. Yeah. And they're right. 
Yeah. It is a pool. It, everyone in this is talented and great. Yeah. And then, but it's it's almost like a cabinet reshuffle. It's like this is <laughs> exactly, not yeah. what any of these people are for. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, it's like saying, "Oh, you know, I've hired Bill Gates to my team." Yeah. Like it's great. It's a football team. Yeah. But yeah. Like, <laughs> there you go. Perfect. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, here's one about Emma Watson. Um, I don't know how old she was when she did this film, but yeah. because of Hermione, we think of her as a kid. And that, I don't want to infantilize anyone. That might be unpleasant to me, but she looks really young. I associate her with being young, and I can't say the same for Dan Stevens. Stevens. Yeah. So they look like a real mismatch. A age-wise. real mismatch, age wise, let's put it that way. Yeah. An abusive relationship is another way of saying it, especially given some of the ways that this film approaches their relationship. I want to actually now check Go. how old Dan Stevens mm. is. Because. They might be the same age. It could just be that I... This could be a, a perspective thing. That I saw her grow up and I didn't see him grow up. That could be yeah. what it is. He's 36 and I think she's 29. So it is quite... Okay. It, it, there is a gap. There is. Um, it's not like it's in real life against the rules. No. But in one of the things that the director said they needed to get right in this... And God, we'll get to this later, but the one he brings up first is always the look of the beast. But another one he always <laughs> brings up... Is that you had to believe yeah. in this relationship that these two people were, quote, perfect for each other. And yep. I, I Me- couldn't be further from what I felt. Mega nope. Mega nope. And, <laughs> like, <laughs> we'll start with Emma Watson anyway. Like, okay. Because, yep. You say she looks young, yes. and she does. She does, and that's partly. In of- a way that I feel that Belle didn't. Watching Beauty and the Beast this morning, the old one, mm-hmm. the 90s mm-hmm. one, I actually end up having the opposite problem. Mm. And I don't think it's an age thing. It's a, it's a maturity thing. Right. And it's... I get one of the, the other... The third big reason why you cast Emma Watson. Yeah. Belle is famously the brainy Disney princess. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. She, she's the bookish Disney princess. She's the one who's a bit too intellectual for the people around her. Yeah. But... And Emma has done, proved she can do that. But... I don't actually feel, find that to be a very accurate mm. reading of Belle. Yeah. The 90s Belle. Belle is... she's She knows her own mind. Mm-hmm. She's... Uh, she's her own person, even if that's against the grain of what the rest of the society is like. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't see her as an intellectual per se, insofar as like she's—I mean, she's thoughtful yeah. and she's bookish, but she's she's a dreamer. Yeah, she's yeah. The, the, the books she reads are quite basic fairy tales. Yeah, her head's up on some cloud. Yeah, like she is not like. She's not Hermione. Yeah. She's like, that's it. Like, Belle's thing is, what differentiates Belle from everyone else around her is like, everyone else is like mundane. And everyone else is just super caught up in the hustle and bustle of their mundane drudgery kind of, and just routine existence. Whereas Belle's a dreamer. Belle reads. Belle lets her imagination take flight and she... She's someone who thinks laterally, and she thinks, you know, it's she's the she's the daughter of quite a eccentric inventor, and it's clearly mm-hmm. rubbed off on her. 
And that all adds up to an intelligent, interesting, independent person. I don't think it adds up to an intellectual, per se. No. Emma Watson's whole acting persona is she's an intellectual. Yeah. She doesn't have time for whatever you would describe that nonsense yeah. as being. Yeah. She's And if the, if she has let's assume she has a wider range than that, but we don't get to see it in this because they, yeah. they just told her to do her Hermione stuff. Exactly. So she's business like, she's she's frankly, and I mean I'll just say it. A little bit supercilious. Mm-hmm. She, she seems to, and again, again, she's doing Hermione, and part of Hermione is Hermione's not an entirely. Hermione's a very heroic character, but Hermione isn't perfect. No, she, yeah, that's right. An important aspect of Hermione is that you are supposed to be tired of her s- stuff. Yeah. Now and then. Yeah. In the series. Yeah. But book and film, you're you're not. More book than film, but yeah. you're not always supposed to be 100% on her side. So, and I, yeah, Belle has that side to her as well, where you're like, yeah. oh, get over yourself. Get over yourself. And frankly, what it turns her into, which is just not right, uh-huh. is a snob. Yeah, no, there you go, exactly. Yeah, and that's not, you are never supposed to feel that. No. And, and you do. It just feels like she's sneering and looking down and on there's a, there's the a, ordinary lives of the people yeah. around her. Now, there is a way of doing that that's cool and that people would... Well, people, I suppose, did respond positive to this, so who yeah. are we? But there but, is a version yeah. of that that's good that you could have done. Yeah. You could have done a, a, a... What do I mean? It's like a person who, who's not going to take guff. You yeah. know, it's like... she's If she sees, like, just... That's right. Just mon- ru- routine idiocy that's enshrined in the way people do things, mm. just because it's the way people do things, and she recognises. Oh, come on, yeah, you get you get over yourself. Yeah, that's that's what you'd like to see, and that's that would help with yeah. Belle. But Belle already did that yeah. to the degree that you want to see Belle do exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah, and I kind of feel like they dialed that up. And honestly, and this is another area where it's like I feel like it's insulting. <laughs> But in a broader way, I kind of feel like they've done that because they want to make Belle feel more feminist. But what they've presented here is not a, it's not a charitable portrait no, of a feminist. No, exactly. It's... Yeah, I mean, I don't kind of want to go too far down that route, but it's like, you know what I'm getting at? I it, do. The feminist side to her yeah. feels so much like someone's last minute idea yeah. of what that is. Like, yeah. Or we better put this in. That thing where, well, you know the bit. The bit where she's teaching a girl to read and she's invented a washing machine. Yeah. And and just someone shows yeah. up and goes, look at you. We don't need any more girls reading because the next thing you know, they'll start getting ideas and thinking. Yeah. And it isn't Gaston who says, yeah. or seems to think that. No. Which is really weird. So yeah. you're like, oh, I guess they're going a different direction. But no, they need to keep the old direction. And... She's invented a big machine, and just as you're thinking, oh, okay, this is the new version of Bell that they've yeah. come up with, that machine is quietly destroyed in a way that's done almost like... I kind of didn't notice it had happened until the second time I watched yeah. the film. 
And it's not brought up again. She never invents anything again. No. Except the one time where she comes close. She comes close to doing a feminist like, oh, by the way, I'm, despite being beauty, yeah. I'm also an inventor. Yeah. But no, they, they whiff that because it, I've got my hairpin. <laughs> we can use that to take to pick the lock. Yeah. My, yeah. my hairpin, my yeah. symbol of femininity. Yeah. And it's kind of like, well, okay, uh, yes, you came, there's, there's a statement to be made there, but yeah. it didn't feel like it was made very well. Yeah. Anyway. I but, went down a road then. No, Where were but we? you're, you're correct. And that does all tie into the problems of Emma Watson as Belle. Like, they... It's not Belle, for a start. It's it's the... Uh, maybe the most out of all of them, it's the one that... Yeah. No, she, the, she, no the Beast is out of, the most out of all of them. Y- yeah. No, Lumi, it's all of them. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but Belle is... Just so- like all of the others. Yeah, yeah. As much as turning that lovable little candle-faced guy into yeah. a bronze statue yeah who just whose charm has been replaced with whirling yes um, <laughs> bell is to that same extent yeah nothing to do and with an hello caliber accent <laughs> um but bell is not hello hello caliber feminism <laughs> oh ouch um, but like there's bigger problems with bell mm-hmm. insofar as they've done all this and they've frankly ruined the character Mm. but they're still expecting her to fit as a piece into the story of beauty and the beast and she doesn't anymore she doesn't like and honestly this is part of again one of the things they were apologizing for clearly Mm -hmm. by making this film is they wanted to try and get away from the whole stockholm syndrome thing the reason that it happens that way is because the naivety of 1991, Mel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the degree of fairy taleish ambiguity yeah. that exists around the laws of how she works as a person yeah. and the laws of how that society works is what dispels the Stockholm syndrome stuff, and it makes the stuff that goes against the Stockholm syndrome interpretation, i.e., you know, the fact that she does take the opportunity to leave when she. Yeah. decides it's too yep. much for her and then chooses to come back just because yep. she actually cares. That's the stuff that allowed them to tread that route in 1991 yep. without it being a big problem to anyone other than the people who are dead determined to read it that way. That's right. The reading of Beauty and the Beast as Stockholm Syndrome is... Uh only works when you're not watching the film. It works yeah. as like, remember Beauty and the Beast? Well, yeah. well, what if we think about it in these light? And then you go, oh yeah, it totally is. Yeah. But while you're watching it, everything happens in the right order. Yeah. So the moments where she does show affection for him is always when he's actually d- done something to earn it in some way. And it's never yeah. an overreach. And he, she only starts down the path because of her genuine interest in what's around her. And her genuine interest in him as just a, yeah. you know okay, I'm here, and I didn't really want to be here by my own choice, but wow, this is interesting, actually, yeah. and this is kind of the adventure I'd been, and the, the, the sort of the romance I'd been looking for. And also the fact that within the context of the 1991 film, which takes a very kind of uh, fairy taleish approach to its concepts, and it doesn't feel like it's either sneering at them or over-intellectualizing no. them, you take the fairy taleishness of it at face value, and that's essential if you're going to leave the concept of you are my prisoner mm. in there. Yeah. Like, the reason that that aspect in the 1991 film does not derail the entire film is because it presents to you a reality in which the idea of 
your father trespassed on my grounds. Therefore, I'm owed a prisoner. Yeah. Yeah. Feels like it makes moral sense. Yeah. And it feels like, okay, we, we'll take that as red. Mm. We'll take that as red. Okay. That, okay. It's like, this isn't an abducting situation. It's just how things are done over there. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's like, well, of course, of course he's going to take a prisoner. He's a fairy tale prince in a big old exactly, castle. Yeah. But whereas in the 2017 version, they make it super clear that, nope. We are not playing this fairy tale-ish. Yeah. Belle is a modern feminist. Mm-hmm. The Beast is an incredibly mundane man. The, the, it's not a fairy tale castle. It's just a French, I don't know what period, Regency? I don't know what you I call it. But it's like, it's literally just a prince who lives in this castle. And, th- and at that point, it's like, okay, so why is he taking her as a prisoner? then now that doesn't make sense because I don't feel like I'm in fairy tale land anymore. I feel like you've dragged me down to earth. So I'm going to start asking you down to earth questions. That's exactly, yeah. When you set out to make this film with the idea in mind of like, how could this really happen? The answer is it couldn't. So you've got, just just change. Just change bits. And I don't understand why they... How they make the decisions as to what to change and what not to. Yeah. And we, we you know, we, we really hit upon that with The Lion King, where they decided yeah. almost not to change anything. Yeah. But then, kind of with this, it's it's a similar approach in that they're essentially trying to follow the old script. But when they do change stuff, the stuff they change is big enough that it only makes you question why they didn't change the stuff that would, that would prevent this all from falling apart like that. The stuff yeah. that only makes sense. And Because it's a fairy tale. Yeah. And the thing is, so they, I have a note about that scene, right? Okay. Because the fact is they, they they do try to change that a little bit. And mm. I think it's sometimes when you when you hit upon a moment like that where you're like, okay, leaving that the same as it was in the original film kind of harms this film a bit. Yeah. So what did they do to try and get around that, if anything? And unfortunately, what they did here is so confusing to me. In the original version, right? Yeah. Belle goes there, she sees her dad in the prison, and the beast is there in the quote-unquote shadows, depending yeah. on the print of the film you're I watching. Know, yeah. And then and then she says, like, well, I'll replace him then, take me instead, and and, and he does, and that's yeah. the deal. In this version, she doesn't even strike a deal with the beast. She just goes in the prison, yeah. and the beast is like, whoa, you've bamboozled me! Yeah. I've got another prisoner now! Oh, well, that such is my lot in life. <laughs> and it's and it, it maybe that was because they hit upon this question of, yeah. like, why would that deal work? So yeah. instead they just did what I think a lot of the moments in this film do, a lot of the, the, the different choices. Almost the, the equivalent of misdirection. They distract mm. you with a twirly camera and yeah. stuff that you don't... What happened? And yeah. then it's done. Yeah. They try and do every little bit a little bit different. Yeah. Even if it means ruining the bit. <laughs> and they do that... Like, it reminds me of my least favourite type of singing. Which is where... <laughs> which you, is in this film. <laughs> no, this is the other the, the <laughs> okay. worst type of singing. It's... And again, I don't want mm-hmm. to kick this hornet's nest again. But it's what Beyonce did in The Lion King. Where you, instead of singing any of the notes, you do a little... Flourish. Yeah. But you do it on every single note. Yeah. So you're not actually singing any of the notes anymore. Hey, look, we seem to be organically moving from topic to topic here. Yeah. Uh, quite erotic. Uh, <laughs> what's the real one? Quite hypnotic. Anyway. 
You remember? No. He just kept talking in one long, incredibly unbroken sentence, moving from topic to topic so that no one had a chance to interrupt. It was really quite hypnotic. I don't know what this is. Uh, that was Picard talking about someone from some... He did a speech. Anyway. <laughs> so, um, in this film, there is a hell of a lot of autotune. Oh, it yeah. is the... I, I, I yeah. pointed out that I didn't hear any in The Lion King, and it was yeah. a, a, a point of praise. This film is the, the most... This is the worst offender yeah. I've I've ever experienced in terms of auto tune, yeah. and it doesn't work because it's a fairy tale musical, and yeah. that is an effect yeah. that is for pop music. Yeah, Cher didn't die for this. <laughs> <laughs> Cher didn't give her life for this. No, um, demonstrably, Cher didn't die for our sins <laughs> for this. Um, when we get to the songs, we're going to talk about auto-tune, and it's another example of things put in that don't mesh. Yeah, yeah. Carry on. We'll get back, so we'll talk about characters for the time being then, because it's like, yeah, I was just, just to finish the point I was making about Belle, because they've changed everything about her, yeah. and they've changed everything about the way she interacts, and they've turned her into this confrontational, yeah. and, you know, they've made her confrontational Clearly with the idea of, like, giving her more agency. Thinking that would be cool. Yeah, thinking that would be cool. Make it, oh, Belle's an independent woman now, you know? I I just want to make it clear that when I'm saying confrontational, I don't mean that I find her just standoffish just (laughs) because of her performance style. I mean the stuff like, actually, I'm going to be the one who locks myself in my own cell. Yeah. Actually, the moment I get into this room, I'm going to show that I could just climb out at any time. Yeah. You know? This is not a Belle who's ever looking at anything with wide-eyed wonder. She's always... She's very yeah. knowing. She's very, like, grounded, frankly. Yeah. She's down-to-earth in that Hermione-ish way, yeah. as I say. You know, like... And that was presented with a char- as a character flaw of Hermione. Perhaps she, an endearing one, but a flaw, certainly. Yeah, exactly. Whereas here, it's presented as this... You know, it's like a Yas Queen kind of thing. But it's also like, that doesn't work for mm. Belle. No. And it absolutely doesn't work for any of the things that Belle is required to do in the story of Beauty and That's the Beast. It. It, again, it could have, like so many of these other things, it could have been made to work. Yeah, exactly. Certainly could have. But then they would have had to rewrite then Belle. then they would have had to rewrite Belle. And, which is acceptable, and I welcome yeah. that, and I kind of wish they had. Yeah, sure. But they didn't. But don't just do it halfway. Yeah. Because as it is, and this is the biggest, biggest problem, the original Belle's love of mystery, fantasy... Mm. The, I- the romantic ideal yep. of the Prince Charming, the, all these s- simplistic, like, fantastical, like, stories of self-actualization and, like, adventure that she reads yep. that makes her the perfect match yeah. for the Beast yeah. and makes her the perfect person to be, like, enchanted by the mystery of his castle yeah. and the mystery of the kind of person he is and be the, per- be the person who's going to be look at him with intrigue and be like, oh, wow what's going on with this guy and try and find probe into him and find out more about him. That's the thing that breaks his, his defenses down and how they get drawn together. Cause he is the adventure yeah. she's been looking. She is, he is the adventure in the great wide somewhere that she's been looking for. Yeah. This bell doesn't want that. Yeah. She sings that she wants it, but she very obviously doesn't. That's it. That's it. The songs are at odds with what she, 
presents. Yeah, like the kind of person she is. It's like it just comes across as bizarre then, mm. that scene about like, oh, here's where she meets Prince Charming. Yeah. It's like, why are you reading this book for five-year-olds? Exactly, like, yeah. You, yeah. Cle- you, no, cle- yeah. you clearly have a reading age of like 40. Yeah. Yeah, the the Great Wide Somewhere song should have been about setting up a, a small business yeah, making washing machines. Exactly, yeah. Like, and the, you know, in 20 years, she's going to be running for president or yeah. whatever. Like, <laughs> that's how Emma Watt. That's Emma Watson's entire persona. Yeah. In on screen and off screen. Yeah. That's terrible casting for Belle. Like, it is. I was talking to someone on Twitter. Hello, Cassidy, if you're listening. Uh, about when we were... uh, Friend of the show. Yes. um, When I just watched it again. And I remember she and I had mentioned Ray from Star Wars Uh in the conversation. Imagine if Daisy Ridley had played this. Yeah. Like, for example. Yeah. Just as an example of someone... It it immediately just... The way it just blossoms in your mind as soon as you imagine that, doesn't it? Exactly. I mean, Ray's basically a Disney princess by her character yeah. style anyway. Yeah, she so, was in the pool of talent that they had access to. Yeah. And frankly, the success and popularity of Ray as a character, who isn't... I don't think she's seen as like, oh, she's a regressive 90s style no. heroine. Like, we, we, you know, we require a bit more political savvy or something yeah. from, from our characters these days for us to embrace them. No. Yeah. No, not, not at all. Like, People went for Ray quite yeah. quite a lot. Like, you could have done that. That would Definitely. have been fine. Oh, God. Oh, why don't we... Oh, that's, <laughs> that's always going to annoy me now forever. Because that's like hair's breadth away from having... Like, there was nothing that would have stopped that from happening. I mean, maybe apart from shooting Last Jedi. I don't know if that was happening at the same time. Oh, you mean actually just having her yeah, in it? Yeah. You could have just done that without much problem. Yeah, I know. Like, right? Yeah. Um... Or someone like that. Mm-hmm. You know, someone of that type. Well, that's the thing. Obviously, there are so many actors out there in the world. And, like, yeah. you know, the, the stage musical did run for a long time. And they ah. kept finding new people to play her. So there's obviously a lot of people out there that can do it. So we're limited a bit by trying to imagine people we've heard of. And so, therefore, just imagine how much more completely accurate for the character people there are out there that we don't know. Yeah, exactly. Now yeah. we've thought of one who's, like, above the one we got. And yeah. Then, yeah. And the only remaining question is, can she sing? But apparently that's not one that <laughs> no, these directors yeah. were interested in asking. Exactly, yeah. It's, it's difficult to know why... I know it isn't difficult to know. As I was going to say, it's yeah. difficult to know why this reinterpretation of Belle in this manner completely destroys the film in a way that the similarly drastic rewriting mm, of Jasmine, Jasmine in Aladdin didn't break that film. But it's like... Because they, they, they wrote around it. That, yeah, that film... Um, and you had some complaints that you, you wanted them to change the structure of the story around yeah. it, it further than they did. Yeah. But it felt fine because they, I guess, just thought about it for yeah. longer. Yeah. This That's, again, all of the, the thing about how the ingredients all don't mesh. Yeah. All the ingredients in this feel like that they didn't quite think it through for quite as long as they needed to. Yeah. Like to they, make it work. That's it. Like, anything they took out of Jasmine mm. uh, in Aladdin that was a load-bearing structure, mm. they replaced it with something else that fit, yeah. th- th- that served the same purpose. Yeah. Whereas with Belle, they've just removed all of the support beams from the character. And lo and behold, it just collapses. Yeah. Like, she's just nothing and nowhere yeah, in this film. It, it seems as if they built her... I mean, and th- actually, this is probably true. 
it, it feels like they built her starting with the image of her ripping the gold dress to get on the horse and do a big dramatic yeah. gallop. Yeah. They probably did start there because if you if you if you imagine it working back from that point, you can see why they would make all these decisions. Yeah. And also you can see why it wouldn't come together unless you then step back and go, does this work? And I know, yeah. And, and and I'm not saying that the answer was to, you know, regress her feminist activists no. uh, side, but it is to change something. Yeah. You've got to write some other part of the film differently. Yeah. And it, it leads to this Actually, that leads to something quite ugly, um, I thought. But that sure. is when we're talking about the actual story. Let's let's finish off with characters first. Well, I think, to be honest, we'll probably bring that in because, yeah. really, this needs to focus on two main characters. We've talked about beauty. Yeah. Do you want to... Do you want to... It's beast season. Hey! <laughs> beast season is open. What What do you have to say about the beast? One of the least likable protagonists in a film. Um, <laughs> I can't. He's horrible. He's just. A... He's horrible in a way yeah. that is not the Beast. Yeah. The Beast. The Beast in the in the original film, he was supposed to have been spoiled, selfish, and unkind. But by yeah. the time that was when he was, it didn't. And yes, cinema sense, it didn't quite fully make sense. Yeah. That's why it's not in the film. When we reach him, he's just bitter. He's just lonely. He's and also kind of half feral. Yeah. Like, he's sort of forgotten how to be a human in mm. a lot of ways. And and he meets her. And the difference is that the beast in the cartoon, very quickly, they very quickly, with a bit of humour and with yeah. a bit of a light touch and with a bit of Howard Ashman, yeah. they establish that this guy has in him the guy we're trying to get to. Yeah. And I don't think this film does that. I don't think it ever justifies that there's any redemption for this horrible asshole. <laughs> yeah, for this... <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's horrible. Yeah. Every moment of warmth that is in the, the original films, as we've already said, yeah. painstakingly careful movement from from them meeting to them being able to fall in love yeah. without it being Stockholm Syndrome. Yeah. All of those carefully placed step, stepping stones along that, they take each one and they replace it with something vile. Yeah. Just something horrible and nasty. I mean, yeah. and the big one is the library. <laughs> I know, like, I, if you've watched Lindsay Ellis's video on this, then uh, she, yeah. she brought that up, but... Of course she did. But go well, how on. can you not? Yeah. Well, yeah. So, that is the moment in the film where he has has been touched by yeah. her. He has been... I'll dial back from that phrase. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? He's, like, he's been affected. He's, he's been affected. Yeah. His humanity is, is back. Yeah. And he's... Kind of in love with her, yeah, in a fairly sincere way, not yeah. in a not not in a ch- chancing it sort of way, yeah. And he um, wants, and he, and he says, "I want to do something for her." And it's you can tell that he means it. You can tell he's he's really desperate to help her and get in her good books, and also that he's so excited to so do. So excited! Yeah. So he finally he's like, "Close your eyes. I'm going to show you this wonderful thing." Yeah. He's probably been and dusted them all. He's yeah, probably yeah. arranged them by color. You can see he's basically like bouncing he's on the spot, giddy. Yeah, yeah. And he goes, "All right." Now and he can't wait and yeah. she opens her eyes and she sees this library and it's lovely. In this version, he shows it to her out of spite yeah. because he wants her to read Atlas Shrugged. <laughs> She's just talked about how she likes to read and he's like, Yeah, stupid girly sh- <laughs> I bet. Yeah, no. Come and look at my cool I've got this books about space marines. <laughs> And he's cross, and he's like, there you go, you can probably enjoy this if you're an idiot. 
Well, they they try and push it into nice territory yeah. belatedly. It's like yeah, wait. you're supposed to see that he's not in touch with an emotion, so he meant it. But he's like, well, you probably enjoy this if you like, and and he actually is yeah. trying to yeah. But he's no, he's an asshole. Yeah, but it's just such a. Even if you're taking it that like by the end of that scene, it's meant to have been nice. Yeah, that it's just like. Yeah, but why did you dilute one of yeah. the nicest scenes ni- in the yes. film by 95%? Yeah. What do you gain from this? Yeah. And then, and, and then what do you lose from this? And there we unroll the list that's three miles long, no doubt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Out of the screen. Yeah. But so much of it is like that. Like the yeah. snowball scene. Yeah. Like- yeah. Where, in, again, in the original, yeah. such a funny... And charming moment. The fact that we see that they cut, they cut away to the yeah. bit where they're looking through him. So in the background, yeah. something funny happens with the snowball landing on his head and stuff. Yeah. And, and they're playing like essentially like children. Like you know, this is yeah. clearly the most in touch he's been with the idea yeah. of like joy for yeah. for like ten years or whatever. And in this one, he just like gets a stone, builds a snowball around that. That's my interpretation. But <laughs> I reckon there's a rock in there. He wangs it at her face. Smashes her face in with it. And goes, ah ha ha! <laughs> I got you. <laughs> like, he yeah. properly hurts her. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. She falls, the back of her skull cracks against <laughs> the stone. It's unpleasant. He's like, yeah. ah! Yeah. With his horrible ghost smile on. <laughs> yeah. Because they did not succeed in making this character look appealing in it's- any way. I can't believe Disney signed off on this I know. design. It's I can't haunting. believe it. It's awful. Yeah. It's just like, and again, I know what you mean about, no, we're not a show where we want to be like mean about people's aesthetic choices, yeah. but it's not a success. Well, I don't mind on this all. topic because I know that like with Sonic, like yeah. with no animator and no character designer would have submitted this. This is the result of notes. This is the result of the chipping away by the wrong tools, by the maybe, wrong hands. Maybe, maybe. It's just, I don't know. Like, I, don't, I, don't want, I also don't want to be one of those people who automatically just yeah. decides that anything that I didn't like was soup well, or whatever. But it, I'll, blame the, I'll blame the director. It doesn't feel... the book has to stop somewhere. Yeah, it, it just doesn't... It's not a good artistic choice. No. It doesn't work for what they're trying to do. It's hideous. It, it's, and it's, it is hideous. That's the thing. Yeah. That, and again, you see, it, again... When you're making an animated film, you can say a thing is hideous, yeah. and then you can allow the audience to fill in the blanks, but actually present to them something they'd like to look at. Yeah. This is hideous. It's charmless. Yeah. It's bland. Yeah. It doesn't look like anything. No. And it doesn't and it doesn't look convincingly real. No. There's never a time when even his body looks like it's in the frame. I don't know why they didn't just put a suit on him and then just do the face with CG because Yeah. Cuz they cuz it was done with like him in a blue... You know. I know, I've seen the pictures. Yeah. He looks like the Michelin Man or something. Yeah, yeah. and and then on top of that, they painted a, a very... Re- like with cats. A yeah. very realistic interpretation of what it would look like if they'd just put a furry suit on him. Yeah. And I feel like, why not just touch that up? Why not put a furry suit on and touch it up rather than do something that looks wholly unreal? Yeah. Um, or make him look like the Beast. Or that. Yeah. Yeah. Why did he have to be... Why did he have to be a, a human-shaped man? Was it because they were worried about it looking too bestial for the for the romance angle, or it must have been? Yeah, right? I, I guess it must have been. But like, but but they still, yeah. Even given that, they didn't reach what I think they think they made 
is like cats is yeah a, a man's face but with hair and teeth and you know with the with the essentially like the, basically the equivalent of making a cartoon character female by putting a bow on it yeah they've made a man a beast by putting a, a halo of beastness around his face and a thin layer of hair yeah and unfortunately that face is wobbling and flowing around in a way that does not look like it's connected properly at all and yeah. it doesn't look real and it, it looks like the genie it doesn't look real and it doesn't look fake and it hits this point in between where I won't I'm not going to say uncanny valley because that is about a specific effect yeah. that I don't think this is this is just basic scrutiny yeah we just go well that's not real yeah and if you're spend and, and anyone would think that and if you're spending the whole film aware not thinking about but aware of that it's gone you've lost it it's not just that it's not real either it's that it's you don't want to believe mm. in it no there's no reason that you want to believe in it yeah. it's like it's you're just looking it's just like that's just an ugly mass of bad decisions yeah and it's and you can't what they want or no not what they want but what i think they should have wanted is for you to go here is a character who you know the, is affected by the way he looks yeah and instead i feel like the the uglier version of him is the real him that shines through yeah it's like it's clear that what they've gone for more is you know like because the beast in in, in the 91 you know the Glenn Keane's beast yeah. is an entity unto itself mm-hmm. wholly distinct from the very boring man he turns into yes. at the end it's its own thing it's its own design whereas here I think they really wanted to capture this idea of like I mean you know they make a point of introducing him to him as a man first I mean admittedly yeah. a man uh, caked under a load of yeah. Moulin Rouge makeup but it's just so you know the human. Yeah. I think they want to give that, give it more of a sense of like, there's a human trapped in this yes. form. Which is, I suppose, the horror of the beast. Sure. But... Yeah, but they hit that movie Phantom of the Opera beat, where it's yeah. like, well, no, but I can see your face. I can see who you are. You just need a shave, you'll be right. Yeah. You have the horns, but that's rad. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. File those teeth down. Yeah. And, like, just shave. Yeah. <laughs> Or wax, done. you know, if you yeah. need to. Done, yeah. Absolutely done. Then That's you... all that is a beast about it. Oh, yeah. and is what's the word for oh, backwardsy legs? Digiticrade. Thank you. Yeah. Um, You've got those, you got horns, and your hedge. Those are yeah. all, like, got upgrades. Yeah, those are cool. Yeah. No, okay, so now, if it wasn't for this particular uh, animation direction, you could do big, cool jumps and stuff. Yeah, um, right. Sadly, unfortunately, there's this animation direction, which <laughs> means that what you do is you just sort of, like, Marvel hero hover up and then immediately hit an invisible wall and drop down again. Uh, but... Yeah, yeah. It's just... Oh. Yeah, it's just a disaster. It's an yeah, absolutely disastrous really design. It's like, I can't believe they signed off on it as the live action interpretation of yeah. one of their greatest ever character designs. Yes. Yeah. And 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 I've I've already brought up cats, but the reason is apart from the fact that it's a fairly similar effect. Again, it's almost like they accidentally did a live action version of what the stage makeup is. Yeah. Instead of doing a live action version of what the character is. Yeah. It's not a beast. No. It isn't a beast. No. It's just a bloke. And like and this isn't even the animation, this is just the film. Mm-hmm. But why doesn't he ever emote? I know. <laughs> like... Ever, ever, ever. How expressive was the Beast? Yeah. Like, he was the most... You know, his his emotional state explodes all mm. over every inch of his body. Yeah. He's like... 
he's just as animated as the genie was. Oh, yeah. Like, he's just as fluid and he's just as sprawling in terms of, like, switching from humanoid posture to wolf posture. Mm. And, you know, his face sometimes just explodes from, you know, that kind of flattish thing to a full-on wolf snout. Yeah. And, like... And always with so much weight that you know exactly what it would feel like to play as him in Mario Kart. (laughs) (laughs) But it's the emotion of him. Mm. Like... Oh, I want to, I want to talk later about the song "Beauty and the Beast," mm-hmm. but in terms of the scene of the song "Beauty and the Beast," do you remember how, like, in the nineteen ninety one film, mm-hmm. he's like got emotions during that scene? Yeah, he's he's the star of the scene. Yeah, in a way that Bell isn't. Yeah, it's from his perspective. Yeah, the key one is the moment where he kind of is so excited that he breaks character, as it were, and just winks at the others and, like, yeah. we, like, look, it's working. Yeah, when she rests her head on his chest. Yeah. And he's, like, he's looking around. He's yeah. like, ah, look at yeah. this! Yeah. You know? And, but not in a dickish way. Yeah. Which, if this beast had done that, I know. it would have been gross. Yeah. Yeah. Because of everything leading... Not because of the design, because of everything about him leading up to that moment. Yeah. There's an innocence to the real beast. Yeah. I'm going to say real from now on. Everything about the old <laughs> film is the real. Yeah. yeah. But he's doing that kind of stuff all through the scene, you know, the tentative nervousness during the yeah. dance and how she has yeah. to be the one who places the hands and yeah. all that I stuff. Know, it's until just now I never realised this, but the POV has absolutely shifted to him in that scene. Yeah. And it's because he now has this... Because he's terrified and he has this innocence and it's it's part of what gives him... Yeah. Gives him back to us as someone we can get on board with. He's a young man on his first yeah. date. You yeah. Know? It's like... Because he's, you know, he's 20. Yeah. He's like, this is the first date he's probably ever been yeah. on. Like, and yeah, who can't relate to that? And it's yeah. so, it's etched all over his face, even though it's like a wolf's face. Yeah, and I'll tell you who can't relate to that. And it's like, you know, six to ten year old children. But we all did. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we right. watched him like, yeah, we totally got what was going on in yeah. that scene. Whereas this scene, just some people dancing. It is. Just some people doing, which leads me to doing a ballroom dance. Wondering when to say this, which is that basically the one thing that I've been able to say right from the first time I saw this film, I like about it. Really, the only thing, yeah, is that it must have been nice for Emma Watson to get to do this. She, yeah, she does care. It's this is a film that she personally grew up with. Clearly, yeah, um, and it is, and she said, yeah, and like. Yeah. I'm delighted for her to have yep. been able to go slowly down the stairs in the dress. Great. Yeah. Oh, and great. That dress looks Oh, great. yeah. Yeah. And that... So, but this production for an audience of one yeah. to make happy one person who could, you know, has ways of being happy already. Yeah. Um, That's it. It's, it's like, not worth it. I was going to say... Like, I was going to say Jim will fix it, but I don't want to... <laughs> that's not a reference I'm using now. It's like a Make-A-Wish Foundation sort right. of thing. Like, it's like we've staged a $200 million production so that you, the poor underprivileged Emma Watson, (laughs) can have your dream of being in Beauty and the Beast. Albeit, you're not dancing with the Beast, you're dancing with, like, this guy from Downton Abbey in the Michelin Man costume. sort of spotty, light blue homunculus, yeah. (laughs) But, no, but, So I am genuinely, and I mean it, delighted for her... And for not her to for get to anyone else <laughs> star in her own production yeah, exactly. of, of a beauty in the blue spotted yeah, light blue homunculus. <laughs> it's because <laughs> it's not the beast. No, it's not the beast. Like you say, 
at every stage. It's just... He's a... <laughs> and he's... And he's so mundane is the problem. Mm. He's such an average bloke. Yeah. Like... And again, Below average. He's like an average, like, you know, red pill bloke. Yeah. He's... He's like a, he's an incel. <laughs> yeah, I mean, basically, and that again, yet another way in which, in attempting to fix quote unquote yeah. the gender dynamics of Beauty and the Beast, they have absolutely destroyed them. Yeah. As we've just alluded to, the reason that we're that you become okay with the Beast in um, with the real Beast, yeah. is firstly, as I say in the context of the reality of that kind of film, you accept his need to take a prisoner, like that that's just how society works. And then everything else about him, he just comes across to me as, uh, to start with, just fundamentally broken. Yeah. Like just shattered into a million pieces as, a, as an actual human. Mm-hmm. Almost to the point where I, for me, watching it today, I almost didn't hold him responsible for his actions. Mm. At the, at the outset of the... You know, I mean, obviously not the being addicted to the Enchantress thing, yeah. but, like, when you first meet him, when he's just raging around being like, ah, you entered my domain and... Yeah. Uh, you go to prison and... Um, but also, like, I remember that I need to impress you, so come to dinner as yeah. well. Like, I don't... You know, it's like he's just trying to pick up the pieces of his own brain. Yeah. Yeah. Like... It almost feels like these are the first things he's said that aren't just roaring for for about six months. Like, and he's trying to remember, like, oh yeah, I I I do need to do something. Like, there's a way out of this for me, but like, I'll be damned if I can remember how to do it or what it is. It's like, do I ask her to dinner now or what? Like, and you just sort of feel sorry for him, yeah, because of his body language and because of how his design, yeah. Delivery of the lines. Yeah. You want, you want to stay in the tower? It does a lot of work. And they yeah, that exactly. In like he's confused. Yeah. Like he's like, do you want to? Yeah. I don't, I don't know. That's the other, you know, the last girl I spoke to was, I don't know, my mom. Yeah. You know, like, but. Probably the Enchantress. Yeah, exactly. And that didn't go well for yeah. me. Uh, but that's not how this beast is. That's not how the new no. beast is. Just some guy. Yeah. Seems he's full. like an in, he he yeah he comes across as a person who has had an ordinary interaction with the world his whole life yeah and is spoiled and selfish and unkind yeah in a normal way in like a way that that he like he might as well basically not have ever been turned into the beast yeah nothing's happened to him no exactly and and he he interacts with her like that like yeah. he's just some unpleasant guy just yeah. a normal guy yeah nothing bestial about him nothing feral about him none of that animalistic rage that you that feels like instinctive and that it comes from his beast side in a way that kind of absolves him the person from acting out in that way and you can sort of certainly by by the end of the film in the, the end of the 1991 film you just don't see that that prince was ever someone who was stalking around going it's like he was probably just a dick like this new guy is and then when he got turned into the beast he kind of just became something else yeah and then when he became when he learned all his lessons he then became a third distinct very nice yeah. person um whereas this beast is just the same dick <laughs> from yeah. start to finish yeah you more or less to finish like, yeah it's, it's really really a close thing isn't it it's, yeah 
I can't really remember if there is a moment where you're like, well, now I like him. I don't think there was. No. In this one, he redeems himself on paper. Yeah. He does the actions of, oh, I let her go and that sort of stuff. Yeah. But you don't really see why in his heart, in his face. It's not... Yeah. We're not on the journey that he is. That's it. It drives me crazy when you get a film like that, where in terms of the actions a person's taken, it's Mm. like, yeah, I see how that's redeemed you. But like, in terms of how you actually were comporting yourself through every stage of that, it's like, no, not really. I just still think you're a (laughs) dick. I'm sorry. Um, Like, so from both sides, the dynamic is destroyed. Yeah. It's destroyed. It's, uh, and given that they're, primary stated intention as it obviously ought to be in beauty and the beast is to make it feel like beauty and the beast should be together and that that's something you want to root for to see mega no absolutely mega no nor could i even see how it would even happen no at any stage even once it was happening and did happen and they were going through the motion of singing the songs that demonstrated that it it had happened yeah yeah and same with everything in the film. It, it, nothing is convincing here. And everything was in the original. And so that... You have to compare the two. Yeah. You can't avoid it. Well, when it's such a direct remake, how can you yeah. not? It's not like The Jungle Book or something, no. or Pete's Dragon. Yeah. Huh. This is turning into a lot of negativity, isn't it? This is meant to be a Christmas special. I know. Let's go back to our happy place. Let's talk about the original film. The good film. I'm sure there won't be any negativity to be found there. Welcome again to the segment we call Serious Missed This, in which tiny baby Ewan uh, watches films. That's becoming increasingly disrespectful, because, like, he's an adult. (laughs) But anyway, that is our guest Ewan, who is our youth correspondent, and he has just watched the original Beauty Beauty and the Beast Beast. for the first time. So, hi! You're fresh off having watched this, like, as in just sort of a few minutes ago you finished Uh it, or an hour ago or something. Yeah, not 20 or 30 minutes ago, I think. Uh, This is going to be... An interesting conversation <gasps> because I did not have a very good time with Beauty and the Beast. Yes, here we go. This is the stuff we want. I love having people who are abjectly incorrect on my podcasts. Why don't we start there? So you simply didn't enjoy animated masterpiece Disney's Beauty and the Beast. Why not? So where I I guess I'll start with the animation because that's what kind of struck me about it is that a lot of this kind of and I'm being very careful here, (laughs) seems badly animated. Mm. Like, there are things that are clearly well animated, like the character animation on all of the anthropomorphic uh, houseware. That's all very old-style, cartoony Disney. But then you've got all of the people faces that are just really awkward at times and really like i took a bunch of screenshots of like particular bits where they're smiling and they look like they're smiling but their eyebrows are doing something wrong or bell will move her face in a weird way like she did a lot of like shooting up whenever she says a word that just looks kind of odd and it's because they're trying to do these realistic characters alongside these cartoony characters and they're really good at the cartoony characters but the realistic characters don't really mesh as well The shot that I think is the weirdest is when the beast turns into a human and he does the face that the painting was making. (laughs) And it's the weirdest expression he could possibly make. (laughs) Yeah. You imagine that when they did the painting, he turned around and did that and then they quickly painted it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He looks like his brain's turned off. (laughs) Yeah. 
to me the weirdest shot that I uh, that I did always notice there being a problem with the animation uh, when I was a kid watching it on VHS is the bit where she's sort of kind of descending into her dad's room when you first see her dad Maurice and he's inventing and mm-hmm. she kind of comes in the room and and like her her face is flowing around on her head and it is <laughs> it is really weird it is yeah and then that's mixed with a lot of the shots of Belle are rotoscoped and very like tightly rotoscoped like very clearly right. which i know just sort of from osmosis is kind of what snow white looks like and i assume what like cinderella looks like yeah but it's weird seeing it juxtaposed with shots that are clearly not that and would you say that that was worse than in little mermaid yeah uh, well or uh, hmm See, in Little Mermaid, it was different because Little Mermaid wasn't nominated for Best Picture. Little Mermaid wasn't the one that I feel I expected as much of because the merit it had was a surprise in the context of more sort of slapdash productions that came before it. Yeah, this one is clearly trying harder to be better, isn't it? Whereas Mm -hmm. Little Mermaid was just sort of a bit of knockabout fun that turned out to be... Nice. And then also, the, the it, it surprised me because of the reputation that it has. Because this is the movie yeah. that is the context for what animation became in the 90s. Like, looking at yeah. all of the things that tried to be this. Looking at, like, Anastasia and, like, mm. all the the other DreamWorks and, and Warner Brothers trying to do what this apparently did right. That I can't entirely see it doing right with my eyes. Well, and perhaps now you can see why something like just a few, seven years later or something, Iron Giant blew us away as much as it yeah. did. Because it's like, yeah. that was actually really soon after when this was state of the art. Uh-huh. One other really bad shot I needed to bring up was uh, the guy from the asylum, the evil asylum man that comes to kidnap the dad. (laughs) When he comes to the door, his hands come up and they, they, like his fingers are are Mr. Burnsing together. And his hands look so bad. They look like, like they're rotoscoped in a way that looks like one of those kind of crap 80s fairy tale movies. Or not even 80s. What I'm thinking of are the movies that tried to be this, are the like, the fake Disney movies of the oh, 90s yeah. that right. were like based on the public domain stories. Yeah, like the straight to video ones. Uh, that's the kind of thing that that just little bit of weird animation reminded me of because it had the same kind of jank to it. <laughs> if we're just going to roll through the disappointments, I have to talk about Gaston. Oh, because I, I was quite, what? I was what quite... possible disappointments can there be with Gaston? One okay. of the greater creations okay. in animation. <laughs> Gaston. Every last inch of him Gaston. is covered with hair, Ewan. <laughs> I hated that. I hated that. Oh my camera. That's God. the worst wig to camera right. I've ever experienced. I want to expel you from the podcast, but I also want this content, so continue. <laughs> <laughs> Gaston was quite fun to listen to. Like he's, he, yeah. The singing is really good. Yeah. And I got the feeling that I would rather be listening to this than watching this, because mm. the way that he's animated, yeah. it wasn't really much fun for me to watch. Like He was just kind of a buff dude and like he had a lot of those awkward realistic face attempts that didn't quite work yeah uh probably more than bell like his face was just weird but he's meant to be like one of those characters that you love to hate he's very he's meant to be fun to watch and i assume that's why people like him that people do have fun watching him yeah but there are like he just made me think of other characters that i have more fun hating like clayton in tarzan i think i have more fun hating because he's just a lot more hateful and a lot less yeah. just kind of a buff dude the the one that came to mind that i knew it, it, 
is really not going to go over well is Patrick Warburton's character from B Movie. He oh, very wow. much reminded me of Patrick Warburton's character from B Movie. But Patrick Warburton's character from B Movie is much more funny because he's sympathetic. Like he, <laughs> he he's ridiculously <laughs> evil, but also you root for him because no, he's not getting the time of day from anybody. But everybody <laughs> likes Gaston, and so you don't yeah. really have much of a reason to hope for him. Yeah, and I don't get why he wanted to kill Beast. He just suddenly goes, "Well, it's time for me to sing, kill the Beast," because I'm the bad guy in this movie, and <laughs> somebody needs to want to kill the Beast. He's a hunter. They could have established that maybe Beast is the big, final, the the most dangerous game, and he, yeah, you could he's white whale. You could enjoy watching him go evil at the end because he has something driving him towards killing the Beast. I don't get what his end game is. Like, if he kills Beast, he doesn't get Bell. He's sort of like just tossed Bell in a cellar and forgotten about her at this point. I don't I don't think he's really driven by Bell anymore. I remember spluttering around at this point and trying to give you an answer, but what I wasn't clever enough in the moment to say, and which I'll say now in case you was listening, is that I think it's that it's become personal at that point. He has masculinity in place of a personality, and Bell's rejections, that's the first time that's ever been challenged. And so he just can't comprehend that. So instead, when he finds out that there's this external foe, this rival for her attention, he just projects his personal failings onto the beast. Like, if I kill this, then I'm the most masculine. Not realizing that nobody but him thinks of it in those terms. There, ha, I've answered the question brilliantly now from my tactical vantage point here on the stairs. Now that he's defeated, I can go back to being the host of the podcast. It was looking dicey there for a moment. I was going to have to hand over the passwords to you and, and he'd wreak havoc on the podcast if I let him wander free. And, and comparing that, like, the moment where he does something that's bad enough that we're okay with him dying uh. is him just stabbing Beast. Yeah. Which is nothing compared to the bit in Tarzan where Clayton's, like, frothing at the mouth, swinging his machete, and he yeah. causes his own doom. That's much better to watch. You have to allow that this came first, though, and they hadn't yet paved uh-huh. the way for uh, for Clayton to be possible. Well, I know, I, honestly, I kind of agree with you. I, I don't agree with you in the sense that I definitely prefer Gaston to Clayton, but... Clayton's death is better. <laughs> well, it's it's also, like, I, I grant that it came second, but also it's the one that people say, yeah, well, Tarzan's not as good as Beauty and the Beast. Like, it's the yeah. one that's meant to be things going wrong. But uh-huh. a lot of this movie was me going, I would rather be watching Tarzan right now. Right, yeah. Like, there was a lot of moments where where the backgrounds were just nothing, where, where, like, in Tarzan it would be, like, a beautiful forest and the opening is, like... Mm really dramatically shown and like it does a lot of showing and not telling this movie's opening yeah. is all telling and no showing yeah. <laughs> like yeah there's no, a song is. that's telling us everything and then there's which comes after the intro which is telling us everything about us everything, the beast yeah. and is followed by oh here's my dad let me tell you everything about him and gaston shows up and oh that's our father let me tell you about how i feel about her and then oh let me tell you about gaston <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah. all telling yeah oh you're right uh, yeah Obviously, you want stuff to show, not tell. But also, what I said I wanted out of this movie in comparison to Little Mermaid was a bit more of a fleshed-out setting, Mm. which I did not get at all. And so there are scenes that I can see why they would have been impressive at the time. Scenes like, like the ballroom scene, when I got to there, I was thinking, okay, this is beautiful, but I've never seen this ballroom before. I don't know where it is in the house, and I don't know what goes on here. I I don't know what balls were held here. I don't know what emotional connection anybody has to this ballroom. It's just suddenly a very elaborately animated ballroom that is empty. 
and and that felt weird to me. What I want is for you to tell me what there is in that place, like what is of merit that this movie is liked for instead of that. Okay, so there's two aspects of it. First off is the parts that you've said there that are just correct, but time had already, like, the films you're referencing happened later and because of this film. Uh, I suppose when it came out, the Disney renaissance, the what happened there was that Disney stopped mucking about with weird, conceptual, odd things like, let's do Oliver Twist, but with dogs and, you know, Fox and the Hound and things. And, of course, Black Cauldron. Like, that whole era of weird Disney where they kept going, like, we can try different things. We don't just have to do fairy tales. And everyone went, well, it's not very good. Little Mermaid was there, like, dipping their toes in the water, so to speak, of doing fairy tales again. And when that went down well, now they're like, okay, the public responded to that. What we need to do is a Disney film. And that means fairy tale. That means songs. That means, you know, you open a book at the start and go, like, once upon a time and all of this. That does account for some of the telling, not showing. But you're absolutely right. There's a lot more of it than I thought, you know, beyond the... I would have said that the actual, like, prologue was that. But yeah, you're right. There's a lot of it after that. But then the other aspect, this is the key. This is the thing that sort of gave it a a little spark that we hadn't seen before. Can be seen in Microcosm in the opening song in, in Bell. Because in that song, you are skipping around this town. You're meeting different people. You're meeting, you know, Gaston and LeFou. And and of course, you're meeting Bell. And you're meeting the general townsfolk and their sort of general disagreeable simpleness. But all of the time, without breaking pace of the song, it never kind of trails off and then starts a new song up with different people. It's just this ongoing rolling thing. And that is because it's written by Howard Ashman and Alan Menken. And Howard Ashman is this guy who basically, he came in from theatre and he'd been doing musicals. He did Little Shop of Horrors with Alan Menken. Actually, have you seen Little Shop of Horrors? I have not. Oh, that would be interesting to see. I think you should watch that because that is like the... I think it's what you're looking for because it's their formula that they brought to this but done for adults and done without the sort of tell-don't-show fairy tale stuff. Anyway, so Howard Ashman is this theatre guy and he just knows how to slot a musical together. Now, this film isn't it, like 100%, because if it was, it would have way more songs in it and, and so on. But he took what was already going on. They already had a production of Beauty and the Beast going on. And it was closer to the original story. And it was, and it had all people in powdered wigs and things like this. Howard kind of went, okay, no, this is really complicated and all sorts of stuff is going on. If what you want to do is a fairy tale, we're going to put a castle in it. This man is going to be bad and there's going to be little talking teapots in it. And he basically just stripped it down to the very basics and then went, here are five songs that will cover this whole story. And that'll just do the whole thing. And he kind of slotted them in in like roughly the best places you could put them. All starting with this opening song, which I don't know how it came across to you in 2020. To me in 1991 or two, whenever I saw it, it just kind of came across as like, you know, a Disney song. But to grown-ups when it came out, that was the first time Broadway had happened in animation. And what had happened there was that Howard had brought in something that felt native to the stage and put that into disney and went look animations and musicals are the same thing they are cartoon people blown up out out of all proportion and they're going to stand there and sing who they are and it's going to be silly but also it's going to be kind of sweet 
and that's what we're doing. And he kind of was just like, that's just what we're doing. And anyone who had a problem with that was had to leave. So that was what Beauty and the Beast did. And I think that's why it was... And so, and to a certain extent, it's structure. I mean, remember, for a while there, a lot of their films, things like Jungle Book, had very little structure. It was just almost like a sequence uh-huh. of sketches stuck together. Beauty and the Beast was kind of the first one that went, well, what if what if animated films, what if they had like a film structure, like, like an actual story being told normally? Shall we try that? And I think that was probably what got people. But to me... It was just the next Disney. It was just a nice thing with a magic candle and some cool backgrounds and so on. So I think that explains what grown-ups liked about it. I think that explains what I liked about it. Yeah, that's what I was looking for was yeah. the reason that people cared about that. And that's like a thing that I wasn't seeing mm. that I can see now. But you've already teased that you had a different response. A small revelation when you heard the song Bell. So tell me about that. What this song was to me was exactly, <laughs> exactly... <laughs> Exactly what, Ewan? Exactly what, Ewan? With all your negativity? Well, listener, it's I, I really love the answer and it's fascinating, but you're going to have to wait and find out about it after we've had a bit more of the main discussion. That's right, if you've got your eye on the scrubber, you'll have noticed we seem to be careening towards an abrupt end to this discussion. Not so. Like the Frozen deep dive that kicked off this entire podcast, our Beauty and the Beast discussion went on for a while. And so to avoid uploading a five hour long episode that nobody in their right mind would embark upon, we've opted to split it into bits and hope that you're sufficiently engrossed at this point as to be, in a way, tricked into listening to a five hour long episode in multiple sittings. But what's left to say? Well, a lot. We haven't got into the songs yet, or several of the weird changes to the story, and when we come back in part two, we'll be discussing this film's other bafflingly reimagined male lead, Gaston. Join us soon for that. And in the meantime, you can support the podcast at patreon.com slash seriousdisness. And if you're listening to this around Christmas 2020, when we're first releasing it, you might be interested to know that there are a few extra episodes of Serious Disney that we did as lockdown live streams this year that we will be releasing as podcast episodes, but which we haven't yet. So if you'd like to see those now, and I do mean see as they're videos, you can find them on my Demon Tomato Dave YouTube channel. Our youth correspondent Ewan's YouTube channel is called Brightside Ewan and has lots of things our listeners would enjoy as well. So, we'll see you soon after the arbitrarily placed break for more discussion of the amazing achievement that is the Beauty and the Beast remake. Um, once again I'd like to remind listeners that we are not a negativity podcast and we hold a healthy respect and several layers of actual awe for every individual creative who works on the films we cover, including Beauty and the Beast. We just lament that your efforts are sometimes dropped into a big pot of poo and stirred around until they're all covered in plops and only the coating of plop is really visible or tasteable in the final product which in this analogy is a stew that marketing then convinces us we would love to eat and then when we eat it and go who told us to eat that that was a load of plops and we look around for marketing which is who told us to eat it marketing turns out to have conveniently disappeared to be replaced by a brand new marketing which is now telling us to watch the lion king or mulan about which episodes of this podcast respectively are and sort of are and will soon completely be available. Anyway, look, Merry Christmas, yeah?